0: Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm not your host, Judo Dave Roman. I'm not your host this morning, this afternoon. Doesn't matter where it is, where you're listening, because I am a co-host today. Now, I've been teasing this co-host of mine for a number of weeks now, and he's here. I'm very excited to bring him on to the show how would I begin to describe this person? He's been a friend of mine for for about 10 years. We've been training partners. I I, I can't really come up with the words to describe him. So you know what? I'm going to go to my buddy Reverend Al Sharpton. Reverend Al, can you please describe my next go uh my co-host for everybody, the listeners here? A man with faith no man could shake. A strength no man could break. A character no man could fake. For goodness sake, let's eat some cake. Amen! Mr. Joe Kaiser, or should I say Judo Joe Kaiser, how are you doing this morning? Greetings and salutations to you.
1: Greetings and salutations to you too, Dave, and uh, thanks Reverend Al for the intro. Tawana Brawley sends her love.
0: <laughs> very good, very good. So so Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself. We've been friends for, for many years and, and training partners for many years, and, and while we haven't been training uh as of late it's been about a year since we've actually got stepped on the mats together tell us a little bit about yourself what you do uh, a little bit about you you know where you're training you know who you're training with all that stuff so let let the listeners know who you are and why you are here with me
1: well basically i'm here because you invited me let's be honest but um actually and i thank you a lot for that um you know i'm here uh first of all congrats on the podcast doing an excellent job. Thank you very Uh, much. I
0: appreciate that.
1: You know, and that's really one of the things that was missing out there in cyberspace was a, a judo podcast. You know, there's a million BJJ podcasts and other grappling arts, but not really any judo podcasts. So thank you.
0: I I appreciate that. It's, it's been, uh, I've loved doing this podcast. It's been a lot of fun and interacting with, with, uh, with so many of the listeners and, and, having a, a, a there's been a lot of firsts for everything for me and and having a co-host for the very first time is a very this is very exciting for me and i'm very very happy that you're here so i appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule to come here and join us on the judo chop suey podcast
1: great uh so my my judo experience well uh you know we uh i started at a club here locally and i guess all the listeners know we're, we're in the tampa area uh and
0: We're both Bucks fans by the way. Absolutely. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Absolutely. Two thousand seventeen Super Bowl run. You heard it here first.
1: He he called his shot. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it started here at a club and that's actually where we met, um at the at the club here where I started and uh, you know, I stayed there through my uh, all the way to my Song Q promotion, uh, and then was abruptly asked to leave the club and uh for for the listeners to, just to get a perspective on that uh the club I used to train out actually trained out of a church and uh, most of the members of the uh the judo club were members of the church i was not one of those people and uh not that it's important but basically uh me and a, a couple other of the folks that trained there were not religious whatsoever and ultimately that's why i believe we were asked to leave the the club
0: and that's how you it was from that situation where you came to my club because I, I I didn't I never I never stole students away from other clubs but I knew this situation and that's how we became uh regular training partners for for a great number of years I'd say maybe about four years or so just yeah. about
1: yeah and and no disrespect to my uh my sensei at my initial club you can disrespect
0: him, just don't <laughs> say his name all right that mm,
1: okay I'll, I'll no disrespect but uh
0: <laughs> which y- that means when anybody says no disrespect and then follows that with a but somebody's about to get disrespect. it's kind of
1: like when somebody says i don't mean to sound racist yeah but, but and then something racist is right. definitely going to come out of their mouth
0: uh, but it was
1: actually the best thing that ever happened is uh, for my judo uh you know leaving that club and then going to train with you and our you know our sensei our coach I know he he'd probably smack me from 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 the other side if he could for calling him sensei he didn't like that but coach uh was the best thing for me and and my family because uh, as you know my family has actually been very active in judo as well absolutely
0: and, and your it, son just had a birthday right
1: yeah my son is actually a, a man now he's That's 18 so.
0: he's, he's, he's a great Great kid, great young man, and I, I'm very uh, b- very proud of him, very proud of I, – I love your family, and it's really great to see a judo family come together and spend time training throughout all of these years.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where uh, our fam- it's really helped our family bond, you know, on the mats. Uh, it, you know, my son and I, we started pretty much at the same time. Uh, the wife, it took a while, you know, to convince her to step onto the mats. She was never really um, – did anything athletic or competitive growing up? She really did none of that. No cheerleading, no softball, no nothing. But, you know, she would come to all the practices. She was very supportive. And once I finally got her on the mat, you know, that was it. She, I can't get her off the mats now. And, uh, she loves it.
0: Yeah. She, she's one of my other favorite training partners. And she, she was one of my favorite training partners because, of seeing the process of her improve over the course of time. Now, it's been about, like I said, for us, it's been about a year since we trained together on the mats. And it's been about the same thing for, for, uh, for Steph. And the last time I did Rondori with her, her judo was phenomenal. And, and, and I told her, this is the best you've ever felt. This is the best you've ever moved. And it's weird because she wasn't, she wasn't, she was, Primarily doing uh, jiu-jitsu at the time, correct? Yeah, I mean, we at, at the club uh, we were probably doing one
1: judo class a week at least in the gi, right? Because uh, we we actually have a no gi judo program at, at the club, and and, uh, and who was that started by? Um, the the no gi judo or, club, or the
0: judo club as a whole there
1: from our our former coach uh, okay. Dave Midendorf. Uh yeah we. You know, we we saw a need for it at the club because, you know, our club was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu club primarily, and, you know, I think one advantage that we wanted to give our students in competitions was takedowns because unless you came from a wrestling background, uh, you didn't really have any experience uh, with takedowns. And, you know, one of my – one of the holes, I think, in a lot of – Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu School's curriculum is, you know, how do you deal with getting your opponent to the ground? Where I've seen it most of the time is a week before a tournament, you know, they'll drill single legs or in double legs.
0: Right, right, right. I've and, seen that. Or, you, or what used to happen, at least in the Judo clubs I've been a part of, not, not necessarily uh, Dave's, but uh, you'd see a, a tournaments coming up for Jiu-Jitsu, you'd see these Jiu-Jitsu guys kind of come into the Judo club you know, a month before, hoping to pick up something—I don't know what—but yeah, but, uh, you, you know, I I love that idea. Yeah, I'll, I, I'm gonna go to jujitsu. I'm gonna go to jujitsu tournament, so I'm gonna join a jiu-jitsu club for just a month right before, and I'll figure things out. you know, that Yeah. Yeah, kind of and so. and what usually
1: ends up happening is their opponent either, you know, uh, grabs them with the grip of death, yeah, and they just stand there locked, or the guy just sits on his butt anyway. So that month that you spent uh learning judo takedowns uh really just went out the window. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh practitioners once they they take a couple of judo classes, I think their level of respect for judo, not that they necessarily didn't have it beforehand, but I think it goes, you know, they they develop a lot more respect because the learning curve to me and I'm I'm a practitioner of both arts now, now what's your what's your judo rank well my judo rank as of today is eq uh but as of next week i'll finally be getting my showdown promotion that's
0: fantastic yeah. i i plan on being there i'll i'll make sure that uh that's normally a day where i where i pick up my sons um i'll make some kind of an arrangement to either have them early or whatever the case may be but i'm not If you tell me whatever day that is I'll, i want to make sure that i'm there because you know you're my friend. We've been training for many years, and uh, I I, I want to be there for for this big day for you. Yeah,
1: and you're you're definitely one of the people that I want there. Definitely one of the people that helped me get here because you know um, at my my previous club that I was training at, you know the the only high level person there was the instructor. Right, and I really didn't get you know to train with the instructor that much. Right, do right. You know, he's teaching mostly children, you know, yeah. you know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. And so when, when I came over with you and Dave uh, Middendorf to train with you guys and his family and brought my family over, you know, everybody there was at a high level. So it forced everyone to get better. And like you were saying with Steph, with with her judo, like that initial six months that we spent over training with you guys the level, her level just went for it. It jumped.
0: It jumped. It It did for all of us. Same with you. Same with you. Now, this is very important to me. The listeners, I've talked about my coach a number of times to the listeners about his impact. I haven't gone too much into details because I wanted to talk about him in a more meaningful way with a friend, with somebody that I've trained with, who he trained under. Now, David Midendorf was my judo coach, our judo coach, and most importantly, our friend. And he tragically passed away back in November of last year. And I've not talked about this very much because, again, you know, I don't, I, I'm not looking to open, you know, old wounds and things, you know, get us to, you know, shed tears or anything. But it was, I felt it was important for me to discuss Dave in a in a relevant and meaningful way. Uh, I know the people at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu, which is where you train out of, yes. will likely, I'm sure some of them will hear this podcast. I wish I could have all of them here uh, with us to talk a little bit about Dave, but I think you and I can hold down the fort and and express what he meant to us. So, Joe, I would love to hear, you know, maybe a a, a funny story, you know, or, or maybe you know how he impacted your judo directly so i i want to give you the mic you already have the mic but i want to give you the mic anyway and give you a moment to express your thoughts and then i'd like to talk a little bit about how you know what he meant to me
1: well i mean honestly pretty much any anything that i do on the mat i'm going to attribute to to dave uh no once again no disrespect insert disrespect here yeah uh but when i came to dave you know, I, yeah, I was a uh, a sankeu, but it's one of those things where I didn't really feel deserving of that rank because, you know, there's, you know, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful. I, I know I've said that five times now, but there's club judo. There's, you know, pl- y- there's judo that you you do recreationally and for exercise, and that. And that's, that's what we trained at, at my initial club. And then when I came to Dave, you know, we were we were training judo. We were training the art of judo. We were, you know, there was a reason for every move. There was a reason for every technique. And, you know, Dave wasn't going to let you come in there and half-ass it. Right. You were going to do the technique right. If you had to do it 100 times, he was going to make you do it 100 times. And, you know, how, how many days did we spend on the mat – uh, or how much time did we spend? I remember recalling spending a month just working on Uchimata. Right. And, you know, the first week, we, it would just be how to grip, and then the next week how to enter, and then, you know, the Kazushi everything. It, it was it, – I'm not going to say he was a perfectionist, but he was a perfectionist. You know, you had to do it right, and he was going to make sure you did it right. And that's that's the reason that all of us, I think, that our judo – you know, went to another level when we trained with him, you know, he, he really cared about the judo and it wasn't, you know, like you said, Dave was, yeah, he was our coach, but he was also our friend. And it was one of those things where, you know, in between classes, if he would reach out to you and said, what'd you think about the way we worked on this? Or is there anything that, you know, you feel I could do better as an instructor And, and things like that. And, you know, that, I think that's the difference between, you know, someone who's just, Recreationally teaching you judo, and then someone who actually cares about what he's doing, you know?
0: And that's a very good point because, uh, and I don't mean to interrupt. No, absolutely. But <laughs> um, <clears throat> he, a lot of clubs around here, it's a sensei student dynamic. And this is how you do things, and there's no questions. You just you do it my way, and that's it. Yeah.
1: And as you know, training judo, you know, you, there, yeah, there's a traditional way to throw Taiatoshi, but we also know that there's a, a million variations on how to throw Tayatoshi. and you have to find the right one that works for you. And many times, you know, even when David would show us a technique, it wouldn't be a technique that he would use, you know, but he, he would, he would let you develop your style of doing that technique and, he would work with you on the way that you do it to make sure that you do what fits you. And you're right, that sensei student mentality that that's kind of a old school. I I, I liken that more to like a lot of the traditional martial arts, like Taekwondo, Karate, where you know, bow to your sensei, <laughs> <laughs> bow to your sensei, <laughs> and uh, you know, the, what what I say goes. And we know that it, that doesn't work yeah it doesn't work for everyone
0: especially and i've said this before especially for adults you know that 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 sensei student dynamic is is great for kids and it's it's great for adults in certain situations but like i've said before i'm an unapologetic american and as americans we we respond differently than maybe how europeans or, or eastern europeans or people who come from other countries with other uh, social different structures and different social dynamics uh we're different over here and that, that i don't mean that in a rude way but but i think we respond better uh with different certain types of instructions and i always felt uh dave was able to relate to adults in a better way absolutely and you know most of
1: his club all the members were adults, you know, I, I, I don't recall us really, other than my son,
0: other than your son,
1: other than my son who started training in the adult class at 13 right. anyways. So yeah. And you know, my, my son loved Dave to death and, uh, he, uh, he, he could be treated as an adult anyway. He grew up around me. So he, he, you know, he's going to, he's going to hear it the way it is. Right. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for him. So, uh, yeah. I mean, we loved training with Dave and his style and and Dave's family as well, you know, his his son and daughter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I came to Dave about a year after being a part of <laughs> the largest judo club in the Tampa Bay area. And I won't name names. I'll just call him he's the Lord Voldemort of Tampa Bay judo, <laughs> he who must not be named. I always respected him, and I never had an issue with him until I saw him do something toward Dave that was completely unacceptable and unethical to me. He brought in a couple of big guys to put a hurting on Dave because he didn't like the way Dave... Now, Dave had a personality um, that if you didn't understand he would rub you the wrong way. Now Dave was, from, and, and the tie that binds me and Dave initially is that we're both from Massachusetts and people from Massachusetts can be as cold as the weather if you don't know them. So Dave tended to rub people the wrong way, and I got it. I, I, I he, he's a masshole. That's yes. what he is. That's exactly. I was going to use that. I
1: was going to use that word. I'm glad you did. Yeah,
0: that's he's from Massachusetts, and if you don't know him, he's he's going to be rude probably, and and if you get in his face, he's going to probably hit you back. He was Dave was the toughest dude I've ever known. Absolutely, and. And he used to be a, a a bouncer at a biker bar for for the Outlaws Motorcycle Club. So he, he was he was a, a serious dude and not somebody to to get on his bad side. And yeah, I remember he who must not be named brought a couple of guys into the club and he said to him, within earshot of his daughter, "I want you to teach him a lesson." Now these two guys didn't actually do anything because they weren't stupid. Um and when they were came to this club that we were invited by he who must not be named, they didn't know why he they were asked to be there. Uh, so I don't put any blame on those guys. Uh I, I've only met them once in my life and I won't say who their names are, but they, they were they're nice guys in the Judah community. They didn't know what they were there for. So when I saw that when I saw that I reached out to Dave's daughter on MySpace, if you can remember that. And I, I said to her, you know, I, I saw what happened. I saw you, you heard that. I don't agree with that at all, and I thought it was completely disrespectful and, and, and just wrong. So we got to talking through MySpace, and she let me know that that Dave was going to be opening up his own club, and. I got a sampling of Dave's uh, teaching ability while I was at uh, this particular club, and I remember <laughs> I remember him being critical of the the instruction at the club very vocally. Which you know, again, Dave had a way about doing things, but he wasn't wrong. And I saw Dave's coaching ability at this club, and I told I told her, "Look, when you open, I'll be there." And that was about a year after I started judo. I had already, I was promoted to Sankyu in about a year. And so when I went to Dave's club, I was a Sankyu. And, and when I started getting, uh, when I started training with Dave, in the United States, for those who listen around abroad, and that's about half of you, you get a brown belt at Sankyu. And, I did not feel like a brown belt once I got to Dave. I my judo really was a wreck. It, it was it was really terrible. And but but I committed to Dave going about four times a week and my judo got better over time. I could never throw his daughter, I could never throw his son. I didn't even come close. And it turns out one of the videos I have on my YouTube page is a video of of me doing Rondori with his daughter and that I just happened to have the cameras rolling when judo clicked. I, I'm very fortunate to have that moment caught on camera when judo actually clicked. And I threw her like four times in in this round of Rondori. I have it on it, it but it took me about four or five months after I got to Dave before judo started really clicking to me and it for me in a meaningful way. And Dave had a way of teaching and, and throughout this entire time Dave and I became friends and you know and it was hard for me to see the struggle for him to try and run this judo club we were sharing we we're sharing space with a Brazilian jiu-jitsu club and I think Dave had it in his mind that a lot of the a lot of the jiu-jitsu guys would just you know, if they wanted to learn stand-up and stuff, they would come to judo. And it didn't end up being that way. So for a long time, you'd have people coming in sporadically here and there. One person who I thought was very good at judo, he was a green belt at the time, but very good at judo. He was a very good training partner, came over and trained with us. Um And he was there for a few months and never saw him again and then there was an older gentleman he was a part of our club for a while and he was a pretty good training partner but but given the fact that he was probably already in his mid 50s he was an athletic for somebody who was in his, his mid 50s but he could only he could really only push me so far because i was already i was still about 31 32 at the time and he just he just couldn't keep up and you know now that i'm I'm, I'm well past my 40s. I'm, I'm starting to see that I can't keep up with guys who are in the 30s or in their 20s. It's just, you know, uh, Father Time is undefeated, and, and I'm <laughs> starting to see that for myself. But Dave had a trouble getting people to join his club um, because people thought he was trying to steal students, and it what that wasn't the case. And so for a long time, it was just me and Dave, and it felt like me and Dave versus everybody else, and. Mm-hmm. His club closed the first time around after about three years, and that's when I when I ended up uh, at my third judo club, which is the club that you know I'll 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 forever be grateful for the for the head instructor there. He was the one that uh, chose to promote me to shodan. I never asked for promotions. Um, You you know, I remember this the head instructor for this club. He talked to Dave. He said, "Man, I, I." I think he should be promoted to Shodan. And, and I remember Dave told me that he told him, you know, he should have been promoted a year ago. That's how far along in my judo that I had gotten with Dave. That Dave felt that after three years, I should have been promoted to Shodan. And really, when I say three years, that was, uh, that was really uh, about three and a half years total time with, with, or less than that i was actually two years with dave because i was a year at that other club and Dave had already felt that my judo had progressed enough to become be a showdown then but you know i had to put in my time and you know do the volunteer thing there was a a couple tournaments i competed in and such so i ended up getting my showdown in about four years which you know in, in hindsight i i've said this before i i felt i feel that's a little bit too fast uh, I mean, I was training five, six days a week. And when I wasn't at the club, I was at home practicing. But uh, so in terms of hours dedicated to doing judo, I probably had about 14, 13, 1400 hours, which, you you know, that's about the range where you, a lot of people going to get promoted to showdown. Uh, some, sometimes people fall through the cracks like you have. And I'd be, I, I've, I've said it for a number of years now, you've deserved your shodan a long time ago. I, I believe you're ready, and I'm glad to hear that, that somebody's making it right, because I know Dave, before he passed, was going to promote you to Shodan.
1: Yeah, I actually found out about that, unfortunately, after David passed, that, uh, yeah. that there was, a you know, planning, uh, you know, getting everything in order to, to present me with my Shodan, and while I am receiving my Shodan now, and very grateful for that, for the folks that are making it happen for me... Um, A little piece of me is a little bit sad that, you know, it won't be Dave wrapping that belt around my waist. But, um, you know, it is what it is. That's why we got to really make sure that we appreciate everyone while they're here and,
0: you know, never take anything for granted. Now, tell me something about Dave on a personal level that it could be a story, a funny moment or or anything like that. I want to hear your I I want you to share that with me and I, I have a little quick story here and we can continue on.
1: All right, so one of my favorite Dave stories is, so for his birthday, uh, us and a bunch of the the students and instructors and stuff from Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu Club uh, took Dave to a place here in Tampa called Hamburger Mary's. Now, Hamburger Mary's is a restaurant, serves great food, great atmosphere, but what they're known for are their drag shows, all right, so they have all these drag queens come up there and... You know, they, they put on their little show and it's really awesome. But the cool thing is, is when they asked, is anyone celebrating a birthday? Well, of course we immediately pointed at Dave and Dave being the good sport that he was got up on stage and actually had to twerk a little bit. You know, they made him and, uh, and, you know, dance with some of the drag queens and it was so funny. We, you know, we captured that on video and, uh, it was such a great time and, and he absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, that's one of my one of my favorite Dave stories.
0: You know, for for myself, there's so many that I can think of, but I wanted to share just just the kind of relationship that Dave and I had. So there's this one time uh, <laughs> we're going um, we're going over a throw. I think it was I think it was like uh, Uchi and he's helping me uh, helping me with my particular hand motion, and and so anyway, so. we're doing that and and he'd show me do this, do this and and he was like, you got this and and he patted me on the butt and I I turned to him and said, you just touched my bum and then he looked at me and he gave me this weird look and he goes, that's because I wanted to, ooh. And it was just, (laughs) it was just kind of the, that was just kind of the nature of the relationship that I had. Now, he who must not be named would never be that way with me or, or any of the adult students or anything like that. So there was, there was just a really fun rapport that, that Dave and I had. And that, I mean, just countless numbers of stories like that, but you know, it's just,
1: yeah. Like you said, like our relationship, like with my whole family, you know, with Dave, um, to be honest with you, that was probably my wife's best friend. Yeah. Like, I, I I know that was somebody that, you know, if Dave was having a bad day, if something, you know, was bad was going on in his life, you know, he knew that he could call me obviously, but you know, a lot of times, like if I'm at work or something, you know, he would call my wife and they would go have coffee and, yeah. you know, discuss it. And, you know, and it worked both ways. If if there was something that I needed in the middle of the night, uh, you know, Dave would be the first person that I would call. And, you know, he would answer the phone and whatever I needed, he would take care of.
0: And I want to say this because, um, I, again, I know some of the guys from your club will be listening to this. I will be forever grateful for you and your family and the Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu family for taking Dave in and accepting him for who he was. Um, I think I could speak for you and everybody there that we loved him very much. I still miss him every day. And the the lessons that I learned from him on the mat and off the mat, I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. So, you know, if if Dave's daughter and, and son are listening to this, you know, you're still well thought of by everybody down here in Tampa Bay, you you know, and we, we miss him very dearly. And we just hope that, uh, you know, we hope everybody's, you know, that you guys are doing well. And I know the club is still thriving, but, but there's definitely a hole there uh, with Dave, not, no longer being there. No,
1: there's definitely a hole there. Um, But I think he'd be very, very proud of, you know, what we've done with the club because uh, to touch on a point that you hit on earlier where at his old club where you guys thought that the jiu-jitsu guys were just going to f- filter in and learn judo and it didn't really happen, we've had the, the exact opposite thing going on at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu where, you know, when we started this, it was to give our jiu-jitsu competitors the advantage on the feet. Uh Most jiu-jitsu clubs do not teach any kind of takedowns. You know, maybe like I said, a week before a tournament, they might drill some single legs and double legs, but other than that... It's non existent. But we've had the exact opposite. So basically what inspired it, I believe, was my wife as a white belt, her first jujitsu competition, you know her jujitsu was it was at a white belt level. Right. You know, you know, she obviously had Nawaza from our training, but you know, she she'd learned some stuff at Ibor City Jiu Jitsu, obviously. But where it, it, she really stood out was on the feet. She yeah. was going out there and basically threw every one of her She's opponents. A fighter. Yeah. And you know our other competitors saw this and was like wow you know i would really like to to learn that and so you know we, we started our judo classes were probably 5 to 6 adults you know and those people have been coming since we started and but now our our judo classes are 15 to 20 adults every class and the enthusiat the level of enthusiasm for judo is really even surprised myself um we You know, like I said, the initial intent was to teach these guys judo for jujitsu, right? And that's actually what we called the class. So we, you know, we weren't really going in there going over judo rules or anything like. It was, you know, because in jujitsu competitions, all gripping was is legal. I know under the new IJF rules, which I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, the gripping restrictions have pretty much been lifted, which is I think is a good thing. Uh, But you know, so we were teaching even throws that. You know, are not allowed in judo competitions. Like even wakizami is legal in Jiu-Jitsu, Which,
0: yeah, they'll 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 call. I I just saw it over on last uh, last weekend's tournament in in Tbilisi. The one of the I think medal matches ended with a wakizami hansoku uh, Hansokumaki call.
1: Right, which of you know I, I'm very critical of a lot of the stuff that's been outlawed in judo, but I can see where that throw. Uh, or that technique is is outlawed
0: they're too they're too good at that level they'll rip your arm off, and it's
1: very dangerous but that being said uh in jujitsu tournaments it's completely legal and so you know so we don't even restrict our students from learning techniques like that uh but one of the things recently with the the attendance in our judo classes being so high and the skill level of of our competitor well I, i i don't call them judo competitors because none of them have done judo sure. tournaments but the interest in competing in judo now is very high so now we're actually you know we're 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 doing promotion judo promotions
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, so cuz we have a lot of students who are interested in competing in judo and honestly I think they'll do very well especially if it hits the mat because most of them have a pretty high level of uh you know a ground game.
0: Yeah, and I I've trained with a lot of them. Now in regards to that, I wanna I wanna move on to the next topic because like this is important to me and I know it's important to you. Um, but before we go there, my favorite segment, the listener reaction. There's a there's an email that I wanna read. I mean, I I get guys, you know, you listeners are fantastic. That the messages of encouragement and support, both that I get on Reddit, on uh, on Twitter, and 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 directly via email is is really overwhelming and i really appreciate you guys you guys have heard me say this many many times so i want to get to a particular email this person i'm going to leave as anonymous emailer because uh that's what this person requested but let me read this email and joe i would like to get your thoughts on this absolutely so hi judo dave thank you so much for doing a judo podcast you're welcome i've been looking for one since i started judo and i am forever grateful forever that's that's pretty strong I, i'm forever grateful that i'm behind this microphone so believe me the feeling's mutual anyway i finally mustered the confidence to write to you see i think i think the users are scared i asked for these voicemails to come in i got jonah ul of oakland judo of uh, judo finally sent one in but i'm still waiting for the voicemail so i think people are scared to talk to me but so continuing on I was wondering if you could touch a little bit on your frustrations and setbacks as a judoka. I know you have mentioned your take on Rondori, but but it will be helpful if you can talk about it in a little more for us lower-ranked judokas. Judo and grappling arts are very frustrating with a steeper learning curve compared to striking arts. Last request. If you could talk about freestyle judo, it will be great. I know we all complain and hate about the IGF rules, but freestyle judo has it all. From leg grabs to extended nawaza. More recreational clubs and dojos should focus on FSJ rules. And I am sure it is not hard to switch back to IJF rules for shi. I believe BJJers, wrestlers, and martial arts enthusiasts will be more inclined to try Judo as FSJ rules. Maybe doing an interview with Welcome Matt uh, Steve Scott will be interesting. Thanks again for all your efforts and uh, to support the girl Judo. now anonymous emailer I have very good news for you Joe you don't know this I am currently working on getting Steve Scott onto the judo chop suey podcast for an interview I've reached out to him he doesn't think I'm a complete idiot so he's going to be joining me over the next couple of weeks I haven't decided what day but if for those who don't know Steve Scott is the man who Essentially wrote the book on freestyle judo. Now, you could argue it wasn't Steve Scott, it was Jigoro Kano. But you know what I'm talking about. He, he wrote the rules for the point system. He's the one doing this. He's a sichidan, so he's not some scrub guy like me sitting behind a microphone not knowing what he's talking about. Steve Scott has forgotten more judo than I've ever known. And I'm very excited to be working on getting him onto the podcast to talk about freestyle judo. Because I think the world needs to know about what Steve Scott is doing. It's not its not pseudo-Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It is different. There's a different scoring system. And I think it's very interesting. So, anonymous emailer, your wish has been granted. I'm working on it. So... Now, in regards to this email, Joe, what do you what do you think of some of the things about the frustrations and setbacks in judo? And I know you've got some perspective to add to this since you are a judo instructor uh, for beginners.
1: Yeah, well, th- judo and grappling arts, uh, particularly judo, there is a, a very steep learning curve uh, as compared to, you know, uh, uh, karate or, or stuff like that. Um, and you can see it when, when folks from other arts who are accomplished in other arts come into judo and, you know, they're completely lost. And, you know, they, they, they come for a month and they're like, you know, I still haven't thrown anybody. I was like, you know, it takes a while. It, there There is a steep learning curve to it. Uh, but my, my, my point is just stick with it. You, you, once it clicks, like you said, you had that moment on the mat where it, yes. it, my judo clicked then there's, then there's no turning back. You're, you're, you're committed for life. You're
0: committed. You're committed to that point. Then I think the challenge sometimes though, is for students. And I, I see, I see like on on Reddit, somebody posted this very lengthy post uh, about the learning curve in judo. And it also depends on the instruction that you're getting. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot. I know there's bad jujitsu instructors, but they tend to be less than bad judo instructors in my experience. And it's not necessarily they're bad, but they don't know how to teach adults. They they know how to teach kids because kids learn differently,
1: right? And and judo, uh, particularly here at stateside in the United States, is really geared towards kids. It's really not geared for guys like me and you. You right. know, the adults, recreational guys who aren't going to be competitive, you know, or top level competitors. You know, we want to go and we want to we want to do Rondori. We want to learn techniques and stuff. It's really not geared for us. Hopefully, you know, I'd like to think we're kind of changing that a little bit at uh, Ibor City Jiu Jitsu because all of my students are adults and my class is just growing and growing. Right. And and the enthusiasm for judo has really shocked me a little bit.
0: Well, what you're telling me is shocking too because I've come on these these, uh, internet airwaves and complained uh, about the lack of uh, adult participation in judo And, and hearing this. You know, I've talked about United Judo of Tampa. They've got some adults up there. So it's good to see that I'm being proven wrong at some clubs. But overall, I, I do think USA Judo needs to change their approach when it comes to how they're going to market Judo and such.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of feel like USA Judo has failed to capitalize on the popularity of MMA. It seems like Judo, and this is IJF as well, they they kind of want to distance themselves from MMA, where I think they should do just the opposite. Um, you know, I know people have feelings one way or the other on Ronda Rousey, but I right. feel that she's shown that judo can be effective in mixed martial arts. And there's a lot of high-level fighters, like, you know, Feodor Melianenko. A lot of these guys have a judo background, and... While traditional judo, you know, in the gi, you know, you're it, you're gonna have to adapt it to to apply it to mixed martial arts, but it can be done and it is effective. And freestyle judo, I think, I really like the rule set and yeah. and the scoring system and the way that they're doing it because, you know, they're they're doing it without the gi, as yes, well. They, they, they have gi, the gi as well. Yeah, and I I love gi judo. It's a great Sport, But I think for th- folks that want to compete in uh, no-gi grappling tournaments and mixed martial arts, you're
0: going to have to train without the gi. I, I hate to say it. I hate no-gi. Really? I, I do. And the reason why... <laughs> I, I, this is one of those things Dave took it to his grave. I never told him I couldn't stand doing no-gi <laughs> at the club. Because... so. Dave was a challenge for me because I when I was training with Dave, I'm about 160 pounds now. But when I started with Dave, I was about 145. I was, uh, you know, a 66 kilo uh, fighter, and you know, Dave was at least 215, yeah, uh, 220. Somebody that could bench uh, 400 pounds. I mean, he was a I'm telling you, he was a strong dude. And so I enjoyed the challenge of gee with with Dave because I couldn't throw him. I couldn't. uh you know he could outgrip me. He could throw me. I I couldn't really throw him for a long time. But the first couple of times we did no gi, I I'm not saying it doesn't require skill. No gi comes easy to me. I don't know why. It just it always made sense, and it, it you know I just I don't see what the big deal is. You instead of having a jacket, you you get. And I was not a wrestler, but when I did no gi with Dave, I was able to throw him. I was able to get advantages. Now there is a different challenge because people are slippery and stuff, but and, and there there's a separate challenge there. So I'm not I'm not poo-pooing no gi for, for for people who like to do it. It's just for me personally, I never got the kind of challenge that I got from uh doing judo in a gi. It just it it was just easy for me. for whatever and I'm not saying I'm great, I just just saying comparatively, it was always easy for me.
1: Yeah. And see, I've had kind of the opposite. So, you know, we have a no gi judo class that we, we teach there. Cause like I said, a lot of our jiu-jitsu competitors compete in no gi and we needed to give them something. Cause in a lot of no gi grappling tournaments, you're going to get a lot of wrestlers who've crossed over to, right. to, uh, BJJ. And, you know, you, you dealing with a wrestler with a good shot is no easy task. No, right. And so, you know, Dave and I were kind of, and I know that Travis Stevens and Jimmy Pedro, have a whole system that they've developed for judo, for jiu-jitsu, without the gi. And very, very good uh, system, by the way. And I've kind of been trying to model what we do at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu after that. You know, for me, uh, especially if you're going up against a wrestler, because we have some wrestlers that attend the no-gi class, the gripping – like you said, once you get the grips, like the underhook and, you know... Uh, or
0: overhooks or around the head or, you know, grabbing a tricep, grabbing a uh, wrist, you know.
1: Yeah, once you get there, you know, yeah, you can you can execute your, your, your hip tosses, yeah, your inner reaps and stuff like that. But when you're competing against a wrestler, their gripping is a lot different. There's a lot of arm drags, a lot of wrist control to get to your back on the feet and... uh you know, I've really found that difficult to adapt to. And, you know, so I've gotten a lot better at my no-gi uh, on the feet. I, I mean, obviously, I've been training no-gi uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu right. for the past couple of years. And and I really love that aspect of jiu-jitsu as well. Uh,
0: now, let me clarify something that uh, I, I did say just, just a minute ago. My aversion to no-gi had more to do with the fact that I was paying to learn judo and judo is done in a gi. I had no interest in doing no gi. Now, if I came up through a Brazilian jiu-jitsu club or if I was a full-time Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, I would not have the same feelings about no gi. It was just so when I said that it was more from a judo context only. So I just want to be clear about that. I don't think it I don't think it sucks or anything like that. No, no. I don't and get these angry tweets and emails.
1: <laughs> well, and it makes sense because at the time, you know, even though I know we, you and I both were never big, huge competitors. If we were to compete, it would be in the gi, right? And so learning no gi judo w- took away from that. Exactly, it took away from and it. that. Makes I saw, sense. It, I
0: saw it as a moment, as a day that I didn't do any grip fighting, a day that I wasn't practicing my uchimata in a in a realistic way that I would do it. Cause I, I mean, I can do these throws. I can do all the throws that I can do without the Gi. And that's why I guess that's why I just thought it was, it, it was easier.
1: And that makes sense. And, and one mother point on the, uh, the freestyle Judo, I do like that they uh, allow, obviously you got to have leg grabs and no Gi. Yeah. And uh, the extended Nawaza, that to me is where I feel that IJF, USA Judo, they're, or at least they had been missing out on capturing a wider audience. They've Be- been getting better though. They, I, with the new rules, I'm yeah. sure we're going to discuss here that I, I feel that they're moving more towards mainstream popularity because that's something that folks understand now a little bit, just from watching MMA.
0: Now, what is, uh, some of the things that you've, because you do both judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. What are some of the things that you think about of the – online, there's a rivalry or so it seems. Yeah. The reality is different. So I'm curious to know since you've been doing jiu-jitsu for about at least four years now, right? Uh, I think three, three, three plus, yeah. Three plus. OK. So you've been doing uh, straight-up jiu-jitsu for, for quite a while how do you feel about that rivalry what do you think are the realities and the perceptions of the said rivalries
1: well you know there is that perceived rivalry to me and I don't know how many people will agree with this I do not see a difference in the arts I, to me they're the same art okay and a, a lot of a uh, uh, uh brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners go you know they'll say jokes like you know what bjj stands for right basically just judo yeah yeah <laughs> and, and to me it's it's kind of where i one art in terms of the sport they are they are completely different there's a different rule set there's a different objective you know in in judo we're looking for the ippon to get the, the you know the clean throw with the opponent landing flat on his back In jiu-jitsu we're looking for the submission and along the way, there's a point system. So the sports, the completely different rule set, completely different objectives. In terms of the art, to me, they're the same art. Okay. I, I, I don't see them as different arts. And as we all know the story, you know, uh, Maeda taught judo to the Gracie family right. And they adapted it to m- more newaza or ground fighting and became Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So they learned judo. Right, And adapted right. it themselves. So, like, and if you look at a lot of the old Gracie footage from when they were still in Brazil with the brothers and, you know, like with Hickson and them.
0: They were doing judo. They were doing judo yeah.
1: and basically just when it hit the mat, you know.
0: It was a finish. It was there, a finish. There was no pins. That that was almost, it's seemingly like that was it. it you, there were just no, there were just no pins uh to win a fight you, you had to choke them out or submit them in some way.
1: Right. And a lot of the old school guys who, you know, still compete and teach, like uh, Salo and Janjae uh Jean-Jay, I, I, I never can't really figure out how to say his name, Hibero. Yeah. Uh you know, those guys are judo black belts and at their schools they teach judo as you know, as part of the curriculum. Uh and maybe I'm hoping that a lot of their uh their black belts who move on to open their own schools do the same. Because, like I said, I, I, I see them as the same art. Uh, the sports basically just have different focus. And, you know, it's it's kind of like sports team rivalry, right? You're sure. from Miami, oh, and I'm from Tampa. Oh, it's the Bucks. Oh, they suck. It's yeah, the Dolphins. Yeah. It's that do, kind of thing. Do you see that in jiu-jitsu?
0: Very. Between clubs? No. In, uh, in other areas, or even within Tampa Bay?
1: Uh, yes. You do? I see it, I mean jiu school to jujitsu school yes yeah. yes i do see that really yeah there it definitely is there and you know uh-huh.
0: that's really interesting to me because i in judo you know it's not quite that way yeah maybe at the highest levels it is but i i don't know that's that's really interesting to me
1: yeah there's definitely some club rivalry and i i think it also goes back to the roots you know because there's the carlson gracie side of jujitsu, right and then you know it's, and so when people come from a different uh Root, oh, our, our way is better than your way. And yeah, and there's some of that, but overall, you know, the, the, the grappling community is very, uh, friendly and good receptive of one another. There's a lot of people, you know, we'll get visitors from other schools all the time. And it, you do. Okay. Yeah, that's good. And, and, you know, I'm not just tooting my own horn here for my club, but Ibor City Jiu Jitsu Club is very well respected. And, you know, we, We actually have an open mat on Sundays, and we get folks from clubs all over Central Florida. And people know about our open mat because they know it's a friendly place to come and train. You know, there's no egos there. Nobody's looking to make a name for themselves. Yeah, man. Tune
0: away on the club because I I think Ybor City Jiu Jitsu is a fantastic place. I I think, uh, you know, uh, Joey Best just just has a fantastic club, and he's a very good instructor, very passionate about what he does. So, and I'm not big. Nobody's paying me to say that. i j I'm just telling you the truth. I think it's a great club. And when you're if you visit Tampa Bay, you gotta that that's gotta be on your club list if you're a jiu-jitsu guy, for yeah, sure.
1: And definitely come see us. Uh you know, and we have some of the top competitors ever in the world in Tampa, you know, have schools. We have Hobson Mora, we yeah. have Marcelo Cruz. Tampa's big for jujitsu. It is, and I mean, those two guys that I just named, if there's a Mount Rushmore of Brazilian jiu-jitsu... you, you got to put them on Both there. of those guys are on yeah. there. And, uh, you know, I've trained with students from both. I've actually trained at Marcio Cruz's club, and they're phenomenal, phenomenal. But for me, for where I am as a, a practitioner, there's no other place for me other than Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. I don't ever see myself training at another club. I,
0: why would why would you need to? you yeah. you got everything that you need there. You've got great training partners. You've got great instructors. You've got uh, a, a great training area. And and uh, it's got a bathroom. <laughs> 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 now, for myself, I think... I, I see the rivalry between judo and jiu-jitsu more online. Uh, I, actually, I see... Both sides of people. There are some old school guys that are critical of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and there's some, and I and I see this all the time. The the, the enthusiastic white belt. It really annoys me <laughs> online more than anything. They, and I I understand why they do this because it's like you know you train Jiu Jitsu for about three or four months. To the person who's never done it before that walks through the door, you're like a god. I mean, you're tapping and choking them out left and right, so they they get an overinflated sense of, of of ego on there and stuff, and 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 that lasts till about blue belt level. I but then once I see the blue belts become more experienced, they they stop that nonsense for one, and at least the blue belts that you know are going to stick. Now I understand. I've read this by wait, wait, Roy Roy Dean. Is he, is he a jiu guy or is it Roy Harris? I can't remember. Um, he's kind of well-known out there. I, re- I read an article from somebody where he was talking about the retention issues in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah, you got – well, not just your club. But I know overall you got a lot of clubs with a lot of white and blue belts. But it starts falling off after Purple Belt. Y- yeah, it's,
1: honestly – Blue belt is your toughest belt. Yeah, because you're you're probably going to be in that belt the longest. That's where you're going to learn the most techniques. You're going to learn everything at that level. So that's why most people have their blue belt for the, the longest period of time. Once you make it to purple belt, uh purple belt's kind of that that line, right? Yeah. It, it, like a guy like me, like I, I've been a purple belt for about a year now. Right. Uh, you know, I don't ever see me off the path. I I, I plan on continuing until I get my black belt, however long it takes. Sure. And, uh, but you're right. That's that path where, you know, when you get to purple belt, you're, you're either a lifer or you're, you're going to drop out. Yeah. But once you get to purple belt, I feel that, you know, you're going to spend l- the path to black belt is right there at that point. Cause like I said, blue belt is your toughest belt. You're, that's where you're going to do everything that you're going to ever learn. You're, even at black belt, all the techniques that you, are going to use you? At least attempted at blue belt, sure. And from there on, it's just sharpening your sharpening your, your, your skills, skills right, developing right. your own style. So
0: now, if this, uh, you're going to laugh at this. There is one thing in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that annoys me. Okay. It annoys me to hell, and I'm probably going to lose some of the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu listeners right now. If I ever show my face at Ebor City Jiu Jitsu again, I'm I'm going to get it. You ready for it? Let's do it. Os. <laughs> I, that to me is the dumbest thing ever. And it, let me give you a little bit of background. Sure. I my martial arts career, if you want to call it that, it started in karate. Karate. That's what. That's a karate thing. And it's not even a Japanese thing. It's it's something that developed out of karate. And I don't know how Brazilian jiu jitsu picked it up it was i mean i did karate years ago i mean before before the ufc before the ufc one ever happened i did karate that was a karate thing how the hell did os become a brazilian jiu-jitsu thing i it's not a japanese word it's not something that japanese do in japan if you did os that's like that's like Going up to your boss and, and calling them brah or something like that. <laughs> you just, you don't do that. And I, and I'm sure it, you know, it would be great. The next time I go to Ebor City to roll or whatever, every time somebody taps me out, they scream, oh, <laughs> in my face. That, I would love that. I would love that. Or, you know, I could see, you know, Joey Best being like, oh, you, you have an issue with, oh, so I, I don't like it. I think it's silly. It just, I I just, I don't know. What what is your initial reaction? You know what's
1: funny is when I used to, I first started hearing people say it. I had to research. I'm like, what is it? Yeah. And the funny thing is, is if you you know go online and Google it, you'll you look at five different websites. You're gonna get five different origins. So to be honest with you, I don't know where it comes from. I'm just a sheep that follows in line. so when everybody goes, oh, so I go, oh, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I, I, I think the point is that it's almost like, yes, sensei. Or are, I understand what you're saying because it, generally when you hear it, it's, you know, the instructor's like, okay, we're going to set the clock timer for three minutes. You drilling one for one with your partner. Everybody got that. And everybody goes, oh, so it's, it's almost like, oh, okay, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah. It's like, I remember you when i was training with you guys for a while it uh like a couple times dave would show a technique and you know he'd be like you know yeah, know you got it and i'm and just like dave i was for years and years and years when i trained with him yeah it's like yeah i got it and then he'd be like uh, uh, oh oh so-, <laughs> <I was like, laughs> like, so it's just yeah it was just uh Really, I can't. I can't stand it. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't say it if I was at somebody's club where they did that. I just, I just be more like, oh, I, you know what? I would probably do from now on. Now that I've let the cat out of the bag, I'll be just over enthusiastic about it. With like just the guy that's louder than everybody. Oh! And
1: and we have those guys too. <laughs> I mean, really? every, every, and I mean in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, not necessarily at my club, but you know, you get the guy who who you know he has to say oaths oh, the loudest, I guess.
0: Yeah, like I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be deliberately disrespectful, but you know, I I just, I I would go along with it, but you know, deep down, I'm, I'd be, you know, just, just bottle it in. (laughs) Just just let it go and bottle it in. It's just a meaningless word that doesn't have just whatever, but yeah, so that's kind of, uh, that's kind of one of my, the only thing, the only thing about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, if there was any sense of rivalry or any, Negative feelings towards jiu- that—that's really the only. It's thing. the word, right? And it's—it's it's just a comical thing to me. It's just I don't even mean—I don't even have a serious feeling about that. I—I I would say maybe one other thing is—is is, and it, it doesn't bother me any any more at all like it used to because it, your club—it's not happening. But sometimes jujitsu guys would show up at judo clubs. Um, and stick around for three or four weeks, thinking that they were just going to pick up some technique to use in some tournament and i i don 't think they were deliberately being disrespectful, but it was it 's almost silly like, you 're not going to learn anything in a couple of classes or a month that 's going to be of any value to you in the short term you know the I think you know especially at traditional clubs where they don 't do a lot of grip fighting i I think if if a jiu Jitsu guy spent a month grip fighting that would be far more be- beneficial than a month practicing a throw, in my opinion. No,
1: absolutely. Uh And I'll tell you, that's where I've seen the biggest improvement from my students at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu Club. You know, a lot of these guys are younger than me. They're more athletic. But the things that I had is I had techniques on them because, you know, obviously I've been training judo a lot longer than them, and I could outgrip them. But now that that grip fighting level, <laughs> the gap is closed – Now it's like I really have to, you know, work on technique and, you know, moving my opponents around and stuff because their grip fighting, uh, you're you're right. It's one of the most important aspects of all grappling.
0: Right, right. And I remember I used to actually have Brazilian jiu-jitsu videos. You know, I'm a fan. I'm I'm a fan of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I I just, um, I don't, I don't love it like I love judo. And I feel that I don't know. I I like going to jujitsu clubs. I like rolling, but I don't know if I could ever fully dedicate myself to jujitsu and be. I gave Dave my all, and I I would I would train hard at any jujitsu club. But I gave Dave my all because there was a passion there, and and if I can't. Meet that level at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I would, I mean, I would work hard. I mean, you know, we, w- when I was going there for a while, I was working hard. I was doing my best. Um, but like doing a De La Riva guard to some kind of sweep to an arm bar doesn't do it for me like effortless judo. It just, I, I wish it did. I, I wish that kind of sequence could do it for me. Um, where I, I got something of value out of it for, for me, it's more like, Damn, I worked really hard to get that. Thank God I got the sub. But like, I wouldn't get any more satisfaction than that. Where you know that perfect judo throw, where you throw somebody that's heavy and effortless, that feeling lasts like a week for me. You yeah. know, it's, it's 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 like like almost like a dry. I've never done drugs in my life, but it, I can only imagine that's kind of that euphoria that carries with me for a week. Yeah, I would have to imagine it's
1: probably about the same. Hitting a clean judo throw, like you said, it's effortless. Like the guy felt like a feather yeah. and just lands flat on his back. I would have to probably equate that to hitting a home run. You know, you you see a baseball player he, the second it leaves his bat, he knows it's gone. Yeah, and that's how hitting a ju- clean judo technique feels. I I I'm with you on that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, but, but do you do you get that sense of uh, – same sense of accomplishment in jiu-jitsu? It doesn't you – know, whatever the answer to this question is, it doesn't – I'm not trying to suggest that you have less passion for jiu-jitsu, but I'm just curious.
1: Actually, it, I I do have that same level of enthusiasm. So like uh, if uh, – like Joey Best is showing us uh, a cool uh, cho- lapel choke or something like that and the steps to get there – are you know, you're caught in half guard, you got a knee slice pass to the half guard to get the side control, and then your opponent turns into you and you step around his head and grab the You know, there's, there's a lot of steps to get there. So executing all of those steps against a resisting opponent, you know, just like when we're doing Rondori and actually pulling that off, there is that same sense. Yeah. I understand what you mean, though, about the hitting the clean throw. There's nothing that feels like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: There's nothing to replace that. This is like, so like you said, I don't do drugs either. But I imagine one's like a a cocaine high and the other's a heroin high. You know, they're both a high, but they're different. different. And you might prefer (laughs) one over the other.
0: (laughs) Now, you know, I got to backtrack from what I just said. I do remember something. It just it just triggered a memory that uh, when I was at your club, Chris Reed was showing the – Birimbolo. Birimbolo. Okay, yeah, yeah. When I was doing that, and Chris had me doing that, and I was learning that, I was like, "Wow, I'm I'm doing it! I actually look like a jujitsu. I'm sure if somebody recorded this, I look like a jujitsu guy on the ground. This is pretty cool. I'm I'm on my head. I got my feet in somebody's like uh, armpits and, yeah. and, and, and and arms and stuff. That that was pretty cool because it it opened up the possibilities. And, and I think that's where. I think my feelings on jujitsu stem from judo nawaza, which judo Nawaza is very it's very straightforward, it's very quick, and I haven't stuck around in jujitsu long enough to get that. Cause when I do judo and I'm standing up, I don't have a deliberately strategy in mind, but I know what I'm feeling. I know how judo is supposed to feel. I don't I never got that sense in jiu-jitsu just yet. I suppose if I stuck around long enough for purple belt level, I would I would start having that feel. To really chain things together, I never got to that level I mean i am not bad on the ground. I mean I probably could pass for a blue belt at a lot of clubs, but I that's because of my I've probably had about five hundred hours just on on the mat and judo alone just on the ground
1: well that that being said, one thing I'd like to point out about Nawaza is a lot of clubs, at least from my perspective, they don't really focus on it anymore you know because of the rules. You know where you have limited time to get into a submission you know once guys turtle up if you're not actively passing their guard you know getting the turnover and yeah. working a lapel they're going to stand you up they're going to stand you up but yeah. um and I've, I've talked to some uh, some of the other uh black belts in the area you know they feel like the americans have kind of brought nawaza back you know if you look at the the past Olympics, you know, with the success of like Travis Stevens and obviously Kayla Harrison. Right. You know, yeah, they have great tachiwaza. Don't get me wrong. But when you look at the matches that they won, like uh, Travis Stevens winning with the bow and arrow choke and yeah. obviously Kayla with Hiroshima and uh, even Nick DiPaplo with the nice Ezekiel choke. Yeah. They're making Nawaza the cool again.
0: And to your point, Joe, I mean, you brought up an excellent point and it's going to be a great segue to the next. Topic that I want to discuss. Did you have an opportunity to see Jimmy Pedro's? I don't know if you're familiar with Reddit, but yeah. Did you see Jimmy Pedro's AMA? Yes, I did. What what did you What did you think about that? I
1: thought it was what I like about Jimmy is he he's very uh, concise with his answers. He doesn't, you know he. He doesn't float around answers. If he has an opinion on something, he he gives his opinion, and nine times out of ten, I agree with pretty much everything Jimmy has to say.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm with you there. See, I I hang out, I I'm on the Judo subreddit a lot, and generally speaking, the Reddit community is 30 and under. So it was refreshing to see an AMA put out by somebody who is who is concise and thoughtful in his replies instead of these these one word, you know few word answers that you know they don't even put a capital letter on the first word you know yeah, and yeah. no proper punctuation jimmy was very concise and stuff now there's some questions i i want to cover that that they that was on that ama and i want to i want to cover a specific one because jimmy said something that i thought was very interesting to the points that you were just making but a couple of questions i want to get right off the bat of course since i'm selfish i'm going to talk about the stuff that he answered first Okay. I asked Jimmy, Dave Middensorf was a beloved friend of mine and my judo instructor. What is your favorite memory of him? Uh Jimmy says Dave is a good dude. He used to come up and train with me all the time, even when he was only an orange belt. He was always eager to learn and never shied away from lots of rondori. Yeah, that was definitely Dave. Um, you know, and we were talking about this before the podcast, how it's difficult for an instructor to be to be an instructor and train. Dave always liked doing rondori and and A lot of times Dave and I did Rondori because a lot of times it was just me and him at the club. So I remember it was always tough for him to make that transition. He would prefer to have more students, but he knew that having more students would mean far less actual judo time. And and being an an assistant instructor uh, at Riverview Judo i don 't run Dory very much. I do run Dory with the kids, but it 's largely in a role to take false right um, and i 'm okay with that. I have no problem taking false for anybody i don't I really don 't have an ego the only The only time I have exception with that is that when people don 't reciprocate and i don 't mean that people should flop for you, but you know if you're going if you, if i 'm going to take false for you. Don't, don't be a jerk and stiff arm me. Right. And, and, and that kind of stuff. That, that, that's not fun and it benefits nobody. Yeah. Other, it, other than, other than, you know, assuaging your ego. That's,
1: I and mean, that's all it is, right? Because yeah. Because
0: if you, if you come in with a good technique, it's, cause you know,
1: when we're doing Rondori, it's not a Shia, it's not a competition. So it's not like you're pairing guys up by weight and skill. Level. Right. You know, you, you, you could be out there, uh, going at it with someone who outweighs you by, you know, twenty kilos. Yeah, and right. Exactly. So you come in on a good technique. Uh, you know, it, it would be beneficial for not only you but also for that. You know, for Uke to take the fall. Yeah, and a lot of times you're right. Ego gets in the way and they sink their heels in, and you know, all they they're just going to power you over. It's, it's stupid.
0: You know, here I am. You know, sometimes when I train with teenagers that are like you know 115 pounds, they're they're 30, 40 pounds lighter than me. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to you know get all these crazy grips and and make sure that they don't throw me or whatever you know you 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 have you have to work with people but i find the opposite that i'm when training with guys that are closer to my own age um a lot of times and i'm willing i'm willing to scrap i i got no problem doing that you know when i you know when i visited uh you know united judo of tampa granted he was just a green belt but you know, I I was ready to throw. I was ready to go because I was just I was just a student there, and, and I made sure that I got my my throws in. But I would have had no problem if he if he caught me. I wasn't stiff arming him or, or refusing to take a fall. And you know, some of the other kids that I did a little bit of Rondori with, I took falls for them. I have no problem taking falls. But there's a lot of guys out there that just stand around. They're stiff. They don't want to take a fall for whatever reason. I'm like, well, if you don't if you're not willing to take a fall, why are you out here? Right. You know, well, and,
1: and I'm sure you agree with this now that me and you are both, uh, at that instructor level now. Uh, there's no greater pride as an instructor, as one of your students executing a nice throw. Yeah. Like that you've showed them, you know, somebody comes in for a soto gari on me and they, you know, they've got the kazushi and the, the, you know, their entries looks good.
0: Why take it away?
1: I, yeah. Why it, take it away? It's rewarding not only to them for executing the throw, but now you're validating yourself as an instructor. It's like, Right. What I'm showing, they're picking up what I'm teaching them and applying it.
0: Right. Absolutely. I
1: love taking falls from my students. Yeah.
0: Now, you know, Shia is a whole different thing, but for Shia, there's weight categories. A lot of people don't, you know, a lot of lightweights don't do open weight categories. They typically fight within their category range. So, you know, why take that away? Who's that? Who's who does that help? Nobody. Nobody. Exactly. Now, I asked the second question of Jimmy. I asked him, what can USA Judo to bring up the talent and skill level of judoka in the United States? Jimmy's response was, Travis and I are working on an American judo system curriculum. We need all coaches and aspiring athletes to be on the same page, teaching the same judo, and speaking the same language. This will speed up the learning process and help us develop our talent at younger ages. As it is now, we get kids too late to make them good. I, I do agree with that um, I don't know how involved Jimmy Pedro and Travis Stevens are in USA Judo if they are a part of the actual organization, if they sit on some kind of board. So from this particular answer, I'm not sure if if Jimmy and Travis are trying to do their own thing or, or if they are working in conjunction with USA Judo. I really wasn't sure about that, but it doesn't matter because I completely agree with, with Jimmy on this that this is what judo needs um you, you very much so
1: yeah I agree 100 percent and maybe that's something uh, a follow-up question to Jimmy even maybe you know directly you know is this something that's being done in conjunction with USA judo or is this something that you and Travis are doing on your own and I think it's a great idea because like I said um, that focus on Nawaza uh, from the American players I think is A huge advantage because, like I said, I'm sure the Japanese uh, dojos and you know the Kodokan they're still teaching the waza. Absolutely, but but I I think a lot of times they get caught up uh, in showing techniques to win tournaments, and you know, obviously everybody wants to see the big throw. You know, so if someone you know gets uh, what used to be called a yuko. And get you to the ground, you know, a lot of guys are just turtling up and just waiting for the ref to stand them up. Whereas you see the Americans are aggressively trying to, you know, hit that turnover or lock that that clock choke in and uh, or set the guy up for Juju Gotami or something like that.
0: Now, to, to your point, Joe, um, there was a question that was asked of Jimmy, I, and I don't, I don't know who asked it specifically, but Jimmy expounds on this. So here's a question. I recall an interview where you said American Judoka can't compete in Tachiwaza, which is why they have to focus on conditioning and Niwaza. Why can't Americans compete in Tachiwaza and why is it that they can compete in Niwaza? So here's Jimmy's response. I'm sorry if this was misunderstood by anybody. What I meant to say or what I was trying to say is that the odds of an American athlete being the best in the world in Tachiwaza is very slim because we do not have the number of players here to train with, nor the number of hours of Rondori necessary to be the best in the world in Tachiwaza. Especially with pure Waza. However, I never said we could not compete in Tachiwaza. Obviously, Kayla Harrison and Travis Stevens have proven we can compete in Tachiwaza. But as a coach, my job is to help the U.S. players win. The easiest and best way for them to win is to focus on where everybody else is weaker. And in my opinion that is on the ground and with gripping skills tactics combined with conditioning everybody in the world in judo practices a minimum of 70 percent of their training in tachiwaza and some as much as 90 percent so it only makes sense that everybody is good in tachiwaza but many are not very good at nawaza look at japan's women's team and how many matches they win in nawaza obviously this is a focus point of their women's tr- teams training and that's you know to echo your point joe you were just saying about japan you know their their structure is a little bit different what do you what do you think of of, of jimmy's comments here? i
1: think he's dead on and uh if i'm not mistaken jimmy uh actually has a uh extended grappling background right he uh, was a d1 wrestler i believe so you, you know and to his point and like with travis stevens like i said he uh you know, obviously Ta- Travis does have good Tachiwaza. He's yeah, got excellent Tachiwaza. But his he's also a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt under John Donaher at the uh, Henzo Gracie Academy. Right. And those guys right now, uh, I, I believe they call it the Donaher Death Squad because they are dominating uh, no gi submission grappling. Like he has guys. Interesting. Yeah, he has guys there like uh, Eddie Cummings, uh, Gary Tonin. And Gordon Ryan, who's this 21-year-old phenom, who's just dominating uh, submission-only no-gi grappling. And basically, he'll he'll take on anybody at any weight. And he's proven to be be the best at uh, the no-gi grappling. So these are guys that Travis is training with on a regular basis. And I'm not sure, uh, maybe you have more insight on this, if Travis is still going to plan on competing in I, judo. I don't
0: believe so. I, I think he's done. I mean, when when I and I talked about this on uh, episode eight on my podcast, which was I went into detail on why I thought judo is declining in the United States compared to Brazilian jiu jitsu. I think all you need to go to is look at look at Travis's uh, Twitter page. It's him, and at least it was a couple a couple months ago. It's him in a Henzo Gracie, uh, uh, you know, one of those tight fitting. What do you call those shirts? The, the the wicks away Rashguard, yeah, Rashguard, yeah, Henzo Gracie Rashguard, and to me it's like, well, you're not you're not committed to to judo anymore in in a in a uh I don't mean he's not committed in judo. What I mean to say is that his focus right now is more Brazilian jiu-jitsu, no gi type com- competitions with this particular uh top team, not well, not American top team, but you know what I mean. But a top level team, top I level understand. team, right? Yeah, and, and from
1: what I understand, Travis is going to be transitioning into MMA as well.
0: That wouldn't surprise me. I think I think he's got enough gas in the tank uh, to do that. I know Kayla is going looking to go that route, but this is going to sound crazy. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this when I say this on the air. Kayla would be great in the WWE. She's got the skills. She's got the looks. She's got the charisma. I think she would be a star in the WWE. She won't do it. I know she I don't think she would do it, but she would another gold medal person like like the great Kurt Angle <laughs> to be a part of the WWE in the women's division, she would be over to the moon. Everybody would love her. She she's she's not even 30. She's got she she again. She's got the looks, the charisma, the um, ability to talk, uh, and and certainly the most physically skilled person on that roster by far and away. She would be great. That's my opinion. She won't do it. She's she's gonna go into MMA most likely. And I I hate to see her punch in the face. I mean, she she's you know she's got great looks, and I, I don't mean that in a sleazy way. You people, you. I mean that I mean that genuinely. You know. Well, and, and you know, I, I'm not as uh, deep into
1: the uh, the pro wrestling uh, realm as I and used we, to be. And, as and, a, we'll,
0: and we'll get there. I, I I got my WrestleRania review in a bit.
1: But that being said, I could and I'm going to use some wrestling terms here, so you're going to be impressed. I could see Kayla Harrison as a face. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Everybody not would love her. She can't, she can't be a heel. But the perfect heel, and let's just let's just talk about the elephant in the room here, Ronda Rousey. Yeah, because. Uh,
0: I I I I Ronda's Ronda's got all of that too, but she'd she be she'd be the best heel. Oh, uh, I, I, in I the mean, WWE. I mean,
1: people generally probably think of her as a heel. Yeah, but imagine her playing the heel to Kayla's face. People, people, that's a storyline right there, Vince.
0: Now I don't know, I don't know Ronda personally. I know Dave did, and yes. and his kids did, um, so. I think she would be a great heel honestly and and she's got the mic skills she also has the look she also has the ability and man I, people people genuinely hated Ronda for whatever reason I don't know I don't have strong feelings about Ronda Rousey because I don't I don't know her I don't I don't know what she's like as a person but it seemed like when she was fighting people people were ecstatic to see her lose yeah well you know
1: you know how that is it's um it's no different than pro wrestling. Obviously, you know, we're talking about scripted outcomes. Yeah, sure. Spoiler alert yeah, to all you yeah. wrestling fans. Yeah, exactly. They are scripted. Uh, but, you know, it was the same thing when, you know, the heel who was just dominating a, a division, you know, loses his title. You, the, the people, the, people, you, yeah. the reactions are, are, are it's, it's all there. And you, you did see that in MMA with Ronda. So people, I mean, you know, I know that when she, she lost her, her title to Holly Holm, I, I think the the venom that people spewed on her Twitter account was it, it was over the, top. It, was over it the unnecessary.
0: top, it 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 looked it looked like people who are way more invested in wrestling than they should be look at MMA as almost kind of a similar thing, and they were reacting in the same way that they would react to a character on a television show. You you know, right. it's just so. Well, look, let's continue on with some of this AMA. Um, there was an interesting question here. How do you re- retain the recreational adult? And I, I want your I want your perspective on this because I think you could provide a little bit more insight uh, from a jujitsu standpoint. How do you retain the recreational adult? I find that I lose adult students because they flat out don't like falling and it's so hard on the body. They all seem to go to BJJ because it's easier for them. Now Jimmy's response is most of the time the recreational adult is lost in Judo because one – Most dojos do not have the classes specifically for recreational adults. Great point. Two, there is no structured belt system or path to black belt that is clearly defined for the recreational adult. Now, before I continue to three, I could swear Jimmy Hurt listened to my podcast. I'm, I'm, because I've said that exact thing and we've talked about this before. And three, or maybe I'm just that damn smart. I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I, I don't, I don't assume the latter. I would like to think Jimmy heard of my podcast. (laughs) Three, making adults take throws regularly will lead to loss of students. Agreed. All recreational adults need is technical development through uchikomi, renraku waza, drills, and throws on crash pads. Now, before I let you comment on this, I would like to say that I was the adult that regularly took falls. But when I came into judo... I knew before I started judo that it was for me. I, I inherently knew it. It's just like, it's just like, you know, you you try something for the first time and you're like, this is for me. This is maybe for you the first time you picked a, picked up a guitar, right. for example. Like you just knew inherently. I want to be a musician. For me, I knew right away I wanted to be a part of judo and and, and this because uh, my grappling quote unquote career did start off in Brazilian jiu jitsu. It was not judo. And so I, but I knew, so I was able to regularly take throws because I loved it. I was like, give me, give me more. But I know the average adult is not like that. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on that, Joe?
1: I think that, uh, so his first point about the uh, most dojos not having classes specifically for recreational adults, it's true. Uh, most of the clubs that have adults are, you know, the old school guys who have been around a long time. They're black belts. They're usually instructors. And like you said, they're they're not really the focus they're the instructors and so they're mostly teaching children you're right. and you're right most adults don't want to take falls um but my from my experience most of the player if you can get them past that fear of taking the fall that once they they you know they get their ukemi down and they're they're comfortable with it they love it um you know we we've, we've had such a surge like, like I was saying earlier in adult attendance at our classes that it's actually becoming like one of people are coming up to me man this is becoming my favorite class that's here.
0: incredible that yeah. that that's just incredible and unbelievable almost literally unbelievable
1: and to jimmy's other point about you know i think the path for for adult students is learning through uchikomi drills and throwing on crash pads i, I agree with that because m- adults are going to be more comfortable learning that way and the, the the one spike that i've seen and uh my students progress is so you know we always do Chicomis. we do some a lot of drilling and a lot of rondori because Good. i mean that's where you're validated right, right. You, you 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 have a static opponent your opponent or a partner that you're uh doing uchikomi's with, you're doing drills. We do that our 50/50
0: drill. Perfect. I love that drill. Yeah, that, for for those who may not know, that's French rondori if you've heard that term before. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and we do that a lot, but it's when you execute that in rondori against a resisting opponent that you you feel validated. And man, the level of some of our guys so we just did our initial uh I wouldn't call them promotions because nobody had a judo rank prior to this. You know, I've got jiu-jitsu black belts in there. You know, they're wearing their black belt to judo class. And right. so we wanted to make it more uh, judo oriented. So we uh, gave everybody their initial rank. We don't have anyone that I would consider a white belt.
0: And I agree. It was that, it was that way when I was helping Dave with the class, uh, when he kind of started it out. When I was helping him a year ago, I don't think anybody was a true white belt.
1: Right. And and some of the, our guys, just on their Nawaza level alone, I, I couldn't in good conscience give them a yellow belt. Agreed you know like uh, like Joey Best our our jiu-jitsu instructor you know he's a black belt uh he's at the minimum a green belt level in judo and with a little bit more time on the mat he he's a sankyu
0: yeah as as he should be in yeah. my opinion yeah. a- agreed agreed and and uh just a little shout out to Ellie uh she she actually follows me on Instagram now so i, I I talked to her a little bit through Instagram and I, it's my understanding. She got a green belt. Is that correct?
1: Yes, she did. Congratulations and to you, Ellie. And to be honest with you, Ellie's another one of those students that, you know, she rarely misses a, a judo class. And I, I couldn't even, I could have gave her a brown belt and not even, you know, batted an eye about it. She's, prog-
0: she's progressed that far, huh? She's
1: progressed that far. And I she, think- I
0: remember her being very enthusiastic because when I was when I was at your club, she was she was a white belt kind of starting out. Uh, maybe she had a stripe. I, I stripes on white belts. Yeah. You, you're a white belt. Or you're a blue belt. Right. I, I, I'm, I don't get excited about stripes, but but she had made pro- progress and and she was very enthusiastic. That that's the first thing that's uh, that struck out uh, to me about her. Very enthusiastic about learning, willing to learn, and a good a good student.
1: You know, honestly, and she's one of our students that's really interested in competing in judo. I could see her going out there and you know really doing well at that level and she she's not far from her brown
0: belt either good good for her good for her absolutely so and you are the ones you you're the one handling the promotions so let me get this clear so i know there are shodan and maybe higher ranked uh judoka at your judo club in the uh at ybor city jiu-jitsu yes but you are the main
1: instructor i am the main instructor and obviously you know we like we we have other uh uh, black belts there, much, you know, we got some neon, some uh, Sondons there. Uh, and obviously, I value their opinion, and, uh, you know, I, I had discussions with them. How do you feel about that? And we were basically on the same page on every, every uh, player at what their rank should be. So I did definitely consult with them, but ultimately, yeah, it was my call on everybody's rank.
0: Right. Good, 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 good. Glad to hear it. I thought there was a very interesting question that that somebody asked, and I thought it was an interesting response from Jimmy. Uh, They asked, do you think someone with almost no background in competition can become a good trainer or coach? And his answer is yes. It is possible to still become a good coach without ever having competed, but you must study hard and become a student of the game. Focus on helping your students love judo, and focus on getting better every day and sticking with the sport. Now it seems like this is something that you're actively doing here at your club. How do you prepare your classes, and how do you um, get better yourself as a coach? Well, one thing that I, I try to do is, and you know,
1: all coaches try this, but I try to participate in class as much as instruct. You know, I a lot of times I'll I'll do this with some research. I'll see. W- you know, like I said, our focus has always been on helping these guys improve their stand-up for jujitsu. But like I said, a lot of them are now showing interest in competing in judo. So, you know, I'm I'm setting them up to be successful in competition. And I was never a, a big-time competitor myself, as you know. I I've done some competitions. I di- I did pretty good. Sure. Even in my first competition, you know, I threw guys that were you know had been doing it longer than myself. Right. But um. That's not bragging on myself. No, no, no! no, Don't, don't. No, nobody (laughs) knows. Everybody knows that. But um, you you know, for me, it's uh, I, you know, I run dory with my students, and I, you know, I go out there and, like I said, I'll take falls when they execute a technique. But I'm going out, you know, I'm not going out there and flopping for them, and and I'm trying to throw them as well and and show them, you know. How the techniques work and stuff like that. So yeah, and I agree with what uh, what Jimmy had to say about that because I mean you see it in other sports. You know, take a our own Tiger, amp-
0: Tiger Woods' swing coach yeah. that he had. What, Butch Harmon, I think. Yeah. Butch never played golf. I, not not on a PGA level. I don't think. Uh, and and I, even if he did, he he wasn't a successful. He was a better coach, right? I yeah,
1: think. absolutely. And you look at somebody like uh, the the coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning, John Cooper, I, d- I don't believe he ever played hockey. Not
0: in the NHL, I don't think. I, I,
1: I think only maybe at lower levels. Right. And, and, and obviously, he's an excellent coach.
0: Phil, Phil Jackson, you know, the great Bulls and Lakers team. I mean, he played in the NBA, but he was a scrub. Right. He, he was, he was a, a, a 12th man on the bench.
1: John Gruden was like a, a quarterback at what, Toledo University? Yeah, oh, yeah. And,
0: and, and his brother Jay... Never made it past the uh, arena football arena league. league that's right. Yeah. But but he's he's a head coach of the Redskins. So I I agree with Jimmy. And and this is again with this AMA. I thought Jimmy was very concise. I thought uh, he was very thoughtful in his responses. And I I mean there there are other questions that he answered that you know for uh, on on the podcast notes I'll put the link up to the AMA for people who may not be a part of Reddit. It's an interesting read, and I think. You guys should see some of the answers that that uh, he gave uh, for for the very good questions that the judo community on that Reddit uh, on that subreddit asked. I thought it was a very uh, very good AMA for sure. Now there's a bit of news out of the Kodokan that shocked me. I just found this out yesterday that the Kodokan has officially recognized two Nagewaza techniques and three Osai Komi techniques. Now. It doesn't mean that these techniques were never taught before; that they never did. they've existed since the beginning. But it was interesting to see um, that that the Kodokan has officially recognized uh, Obitori Gaeshi and Koji Makikomi. Now, before the leg grab ban, Koji got Makikomi was was one of my favorite throws mm-hmm. because I would I would uh, link that with uh, Ipon Seinagi. Now, it doesn't mean that I can't do that throw still, but I I used to like grabbing the leg to do that winding throw. And, and that's one throw that I do miss. And the three Osei Komi techniques was uh, Katami Waza, Ushiro Keisa Katami, which that surprised me. I thought that was part of the curriculum, but I guess not. Uh, Uki Katami um, and Ura Katami were added as well. Now, something that I thought was really interesting, it almost doesn't matter because I never see it. Daki was removed uh, as part of an official recognized technique because you've if you've watched Joe oh, the original Kodokan videos put out in the 60s which are very good I mean that's almost that's still my go to one of my go to's today if I want to learn a technique I Absolutely. I look at the Kodokan stuff but I couldn't help but notice that now when it comes to the throwing techniques the dagewaza there were 67 techniques they added two techniques and took away one now it would have been fantastic if there were 69 Throwing technique. 69, dudes! I mean, that just, that would have made my heart sing. It just would have been, it just would have been, it would have been a dream come true. I'd like, I, I got a buddy of mine when we talk NBA basketball. We love it when there's a tie score of 69 to 69. It's, a, it's one of those things we text each other. Man, the Celtics game is tied in the third quarter. 69 69 with 69 minutes to, uh, seconds to go in the, in the end of the third. We love that stuff. They should've and I'm sure I would love to I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to see we we can't have sixty-nine techniques. So we gotta Man, take away <laughs>
1: they they actually ruined something for me because I had already started my my uh, t-shirt business of I'm a master of sixty-nine and then real small under it said techniques.
0: Exactly. I mean that just would have been the the possibilities would have been endless. Yeah but
1: they're missing out on a huge marketing thing right but there.
0: But by adding what i did, what i did like is by adding having 68 techniques now and then adding the the osaikomi techniques the, the official recognized now in terms of a judo syllabus it's 100 techniques 100. Oh, okay. so i think that makes sense Dakiagi was a something you never saw uh, for those who don't know if you're jiu guys that that's a guard slam in, in judo you could you were allowed to lift up as long as you lifted up to your shoulder level, they would call Ipon there. You never had to actually finish the match because guard slams are, are illegal in Judo. But there is a technique that you could have lifted them up and they would have called Ipon. It doesn't mean that they, they won't do that today because not because that's still an official rule. But but they uh, it's not officially recognized anymore. So yeah. in Jiu-Jitsu, can you guard slam like that?
1: Most tournaments don't allow you to do that.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I think it's poor form. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's really poor form. You don't I mean, at, at the very least, you maybe in jujitsu tournaments what they should do is is count if you lift them up and count points toward that as a throw or something. I don't know what they do, but you
1: you know conversely, uh this this will be of interest to you. I don't know if you saw it or not because one of our old training partners, uh Toro, yeah, was recently in a uh I was it gi or no-gi. I believe it was a gi match. He actually had a gi match against Hector Lombard. He really oh yeah and i gotta be honest with you uh toro probably gave him a good run a great run really uh, he and uh hector lombard actually was kind of he slammed him on 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 the mat a little bit it, it, it was like really it was like some dirty techniques against essentially i mean i, I believe toro's uh, an adult now maybe oh uh, absolutely 18 yeah. 19 years old very
0: lean now too He's oh yeah the same looking great remember looks great yeah and uh
1: and and for you for you guys uh in the uh BJJ community, uh, Toro is the younger brother of Tubby Aliquin.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we, we train with, uh, I with, uh, guess right now, Nogi, the best in the world, right? Yeah, she's up there. Yeah.
1: I, I know she's going to be doing— She won gold in Nogi. She won the Nogi uh, championship. I think that was out in California, and she's actually been invited to the Abu Dhabi Pros yep. in, uh, somewhere in Scandinavia. I, I want to say maybe it's in Norway, but a uh, great competitor.
0: Yeah. Yeah, prob- she's probably the highest level person I've ever now where she's at now. The highest level person I've ever stepped on the mat with. Absolutely. Uh, in, any, in any judo or jiu-jitsu, she's probably the best I've ever uh, been on the mat with. I mean, back then she was a purple belt, but but uh, yeah, never never knew that I was training with a, a future future world a future world champion. And
1: I could definitely see her going on and and winning Abu Dhabi. To be yeah, with
0: you. I, I I agree. I completely agree. Now, speaking of future world champions and high-level players, last weekend was the Tbilisi Grand Prix. Now, Joe, I asked you in preparation for this podcast for you to take a look at this particular tournament. What was your initial impressions of the tournament? And what did you think? I don't know if this was your first exposure to seeing the new rules in action for high-level judo. So what were your initial impressions of this particular tournament? Curious to know what you think.
1: Yeah, it was my first... uh chance to view a tournament with the new rule set mm-hmm. uh which uh the new rule set I, I i feel is definitely conducive to good judo. I, I uh, agree. When i initially saw only wazari and pawn for scores, i was a bit skeptical. I was like, well, i mean, it kind of i i didn't know how that was going to work, but after after reviewing it, i i, I think it's good for judo.
0: I, I, what do you think of removing wazari awaseki Ipan? I don't like that. Okay. Yeah, I don't see, like I, that.
1: But I understand why they're doing it. You know, they want the cleanie pawn for the victory. Right. And I guess, you know, if you hit me three times with a wazari, but I hit you with one cleanie pawn, the cleanie pawn should win. I guess it's kind of, if you want to put that like in boxing terms, if, you know, you hit me with a few good stiff jabs, but I hit you with the overhand right and drop you, the overhand right takes, you know. That, I,
0: that's actually a good, uh, That that that's a good way to put it. I I can see that argument. Uh and and I do like that. I just I I think my issue with it is that now the Yuko because they did it this way and now they're including Yuko scores as part of Wazari. To me it should be I I I still like the older rules better. But but eliminating the Yuko. I, I feel it should always be well Wazari um and then include wazaria was satee pon and then e pon and that way if you have the higher level standard you can leave leg grabs alone
1: right well and i and i think i like the new rule but where it could get a little squirrely is was that a wazaria or was that an e because a lot of times i see throws that are scored wazaria i'm like well i mean i could on another day i could see that scored as an e so now you're going to have the guy who thinks he's thrown the clean e and it's scored wazari and you know with them not being accumulative now you know it could end up changing the decision you know
0: yeah and i i i see that point of view and i i agree with it however in i, I know this was one of the first judo tournaments that you've watched mm-hmm. throughout 2017 it's clear the standard for ippon has been raised and I, and i do like that the year you for years the rolling ippon used to be a valid ippon and it's not anymore you got to you you got to have the you got to rattle some bones uh, to get the pawn score, and I love that.
1: I do love that, and uh, the shorter matches, right? So now, right. so that now there's no. I, I, don't, I don't say that players were stalling before, but now it's not three minutes of grip fighting, right? And you know, let me get the 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 yuko, yeah. which when it was there, or the wazari and just stall out for the win. Now you see guys coming out and. uh Going for a Yeah,
0: yep. absolutely. And I, I think, I think overall, and that's and I'm not going to cover the, the statistics of this particular match uh, contest as I have covered in, in other contests, but I think we are seeing a trend of more e especially on the women's side. And and I I think you know some of the my impressions of this particular Grand Prix is that once again the women tend to be Getting more scores and and less uh, less Han Sokumaki in their matches.
1: Yeah, and I think that across all combat sports, I think you really see that the women, even like you know, for those who watch MMA, absolutely. Yep. I, you know, the bell rings, women come out, and they're looking to finish. Yeah, and I'm not saying that they're not strategic. I'm not acting like they're just going out there throwing haymakers and hoping something happens. They're strategic and they're skilled, but. There's no filling out process. There's no uh, reacting to your opponent. It's like this is what I do. I'm coming out and I'm going for it. And and judo is no different. I, I see the women. They come out. They're they're looking to get grips and go.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely agreed. Now, I hate to say this, and I'm not rag. I'm not being critical of the other high level players that are out there. But this this particular tournament left me a little meh. There was no Japanese representation and and very minimal uh, representation from France. Right, the two powerhouses. The two powerhouses. Now, I don't know why France had such little representation, but it turns out the the All-Japan, the national championships for Japan was happening that same weekend. And look, I hate to say it, had I known that ahead of time, I would have focused my efforts on looking at what happened in the All-Japan rather than... This Grand Prix in Tbilisi. That's not to take anything away from the athletes that had a tremendous weekend um, in Georgia, but this particular tournament lacked a little bit something for me. It's it's like it's like for for my American listeners, if if you're watching a Cleveland Cavaliers basketball game and LeBron James is not playing, right. you just. It's you yeah, great, it's NBA basketball. It's the highest level of basketball. But look, if if the best is not playing, it, it you're you're missing something out of that. You want to see the stars. And right now, a lot of the stars are in Japan. And Majlinda Kalmendi was not in this tournament. she she's not a obviously she's not Japanese, but when it comes to the non-Japanese elite athletes, well, there's there's several of them out there. And some of them were not at this tournament either. So I I don't know what you felt about that, Joe. I I thought for me the tournament – it doesn't mean it was a bad tournament, but it it lacked that that star power.
1: It did. It lacked the star power, but there were some – and I'm sure we'll get into this – some odd and curious events nonetheless, like some of the finishes that were – kind of left us scratching our heads a little bit, I think.
0: I agree with you, Joe. Now – Along those lines, what did you think was a little bit off? Because I saw some things. Before you go ahead and start, I got to say this too. uh, uh, Along with the lack of star power, the calls in this tournament were, were, and and I'm not ragging, it's easy to bully refs. And I'm not trying to insult referees to be critical. But Because the referees, I think, have done an A-plus job up to this tournament. I thought there were some blown calls here.
1: Well, I think it's probably, uh, and we see this in other sports when there's new rules. There's there's a, a learning curve, not only for the athletes but also for the referees. You know, we see it like a lot of times in the NFL per se uh, when there's a rule change in the preseason. Yes, the refs are adjusting. There, you know, and you know, in judo we don't have a preseason. They're just thrown out hey these are the new rules absolutely it it was
0: in it was in early january the the refs had that seminar in azerbaijan Mm -hmm. and here we go you you know the next the following month or following few weeks you you had the the paris grand slam and i thought the refs did a great job adjusting but they had an off day today yeah or or this weekend i I gotta say i hate to say it but it, it was off so what were your thoughts on some of the matches joe
1: well on the uh the the first match we'll talk about here is the Golnikov-Retisink. Uh, uh, I'm going to butcher they, they, these they, names. Sorry, that's right. I'm going to butcher these names.
0: We're Americans, damn it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is it?
1: Retinsky match. Uh, very, uh, obviously, two countrymen going at it in the finals. Yeah, both Russians. Yeah, both Russians. And that was the under-90-kilogram final. Uh, you know, it was a very, almost like, light randori between two training partners matches that ended with, um you know, a Juju Gatami that was not, it didn't, I'm not, I'm not calling a work here, but it just didn't look like there was any, it was a gentleman's agreement. Like, okay, you got this one.
0: Yeah. I'll call it a work. The only thing that was missing was a steel chair shot in the head <laughs> because I don't know whatever happened there. It looked like they had a gentleman's agreement before, uh, that particular match, and and look, that armbar. I, I I'm a scrub. I could have escaped that armbar. I don't think they were trying very hard in that particular match. Maybe maybe they were extremely exhausted at that point. I don't want to take that away, but but it did not look like a very fiery final between two people who wanted to win that particular match. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it, it didn't it didn't look like gold was all that important to them in that particular moment.
1: It's almost as if, you know, they they flipped a coin before the match. It's like, "All right, you got this one." So, when you go for the juji, it looked like he was ready to tap the minute he he grabbed his arm.
0: Now, I don't see this happen in judo tournaments, local judo tournaments, but it's my understanding that this kind of stuff happens with some uh, reg I hate to say regularity, but it does happen in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournaments. Do you have any experience with that? Is that is that unfounded or is there some truth to that?
1: I've actually I I think they take all the the drama out of it. Um, a lot of times, if it comes down to two teammates, right. they've predecided before the match. Hey, if it comes here, I'm bowing to you. Maybe a, a senior uh, teammate, you know, someone with more experience. You know, yeah, it's your win. I, I've seen it where they don't even fight in the finals. What, what do you think about that? Um, I think if it's a local tournament, you know, you know, not an A tournament yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that because you I got, are really i gotta be honest with you it, there's nothing on the line other than saying uh i won this tournament now you know if if it's a an a-level tournament uh or was where something meaningful is on the line then i kind of do have a problem with it
0: yeah you know
1: because yeah. you know ultimately you're a competitor right and w- you know we we want to make it look good in another sport, you know, that might be looked down upon. Uh, but I don't have a problem with it at, at a, a local level tournament or, you know, something where not, not really anything is on the line.
0: Yeah, because, you know, the, the next day you're going to be in, in class training and yeah. you're, you're going to see the guy. So, you, you know, you could settle. you you, you got to make sure that – I I hate to say it this way, but when it comes to two club mates, you don't, you don't want some – accident to happen out in the heat of competition on a on a local tournament that, that is meaningless, especially when you've when you've got two top level players that may be competing in a high level Naga tournament two right. months away. You don't want an injury at some, you know, some local warm up event to uh, to cause uh the that particular uh year to be over with for that athlete, you know, say say bad heel hook got caught or twisted right. knee. I mean it kind of stuff happens Just in the heat of moments, by accident, yeah. So I, I I see that point. I I see merits to both sides, but but you know, certainly for local tournaments and things like that, a predecided outcome. I I think it's okay. Yeah, Uh, it it would be tough for me. I mean, if I was still competing, it would be tough for me. I would still want to keep going. Um, But uh, you know, I I think you,
1: especially at that level, you leave it up to the athletes. You know, at a at a smaller tournament like that, you, you know, it's their call. If they don't want to go, you know, a hundred percent with each other. I'm okay with that. You know, if we're talking about, you know, the world championship, a judo world championship well, yeah. or, or, you know, like Abu Dhabi, you got it. You got to put it, lay it all on the line at that point point. Yeah, and just shake hands when it's done. And,
0: and with these two Russians, I, I just, I just don't think they, they had that in there. Maybe, maybe they decided, Hey, you know what? You're getting first place. I'm getting or I'm getting first place, that's thirty thousand for me, or and you're getting second place, that's fifteen thousand for you. We'll pull that money and split it in half and we're we're both good. You know, I, yeah. I guess. I, I don't know. So uh, now for me the under eighty one kilo final was very bizarre. Um Kubetsov of Russia does a Sori Komagoshi and and it was one of those situations where two thousand nine called and wants its <laughs> throwback because he just he just went up and grabbed the leg on that Sode attack. I'm like, "What? What are you doing? Come on. This is this is, we're 7 years removed from this. You you can't do that anymore." He grabs the the leg and you know, Penalva of Brazil, he he wins that final and he had a he had a Grady pawn earlier in the day against uh, Kalinin of Russia just with a huge Ouchigari, just one of those bone-rattling pawns. You love to see that, but man, just to to see the 81 kilo final end with with a a, a ridic- i mean it was to me it wasn't even sneaky it it was just i mean i'm just going to grab the back of your thigh and i'm going to roll over and pretend like i didn't do it you know the sad thing about it is it was such a
1: beautiful such throw such a good throw, such a oh, good throw. So perfect
0: uh, and my
1: initial perspective on it was i know by the rules the refs absolutely got it right he touched the leg but in my mind i'm like did it really aid the throw and I'm, I'm, on, and I'm like, I'm on the fence on it. And yeah,
0: I, I think he, he did, he practically did a front <laughs> flip. <laughs> he did yeah. a front flip. No way he could have done that without the leg grab.
1: You're, and after review, you know, I watched it a couple times and it, they got the call right, but that's the kind of stuff that makes me go, man, I get what they're trying to do with, Removing the leg grabs, they don't want guys just coming out there and ankle
0: picking guys. Yeah, you know, and that was the two thousand eight Olympics. That was horrible. Exactly, horrible. They don't, they don't want the that. Especially in lightweight divisions, just and
1: they want to see good judo and not leg grabs. I get that, but on a throw like that, man, it's like you gotta let them grab the leg a little bit. Yeah, because the 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 beauty of that throw, I think, outweighs the 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 value of that leg grab, but. To so the rest credit, they did call it right, and you're right that that um, Ouchi Gari earlier on in the tournament against uh, K- Kalinan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, against Russia yeah. was that was like textbook Ouchi
0: Right, right. Now, any other matches that stuck out to you before we get to ones that actually were they one with some good technique or or you know some impressive victories there? Anything um, else stuck out? The under
1: seventy three kilogram match with. Uh, Smogalmouth from Kazakhstan. And I'm not even gonna to try to attempt the, the uh Georgian's name. Yeah. Grigalishvili.
0: Galashvili. yeah. Yeah,
1: okay. Um
0: What is your opinion on that that Ochigari for the win? He he landed on his rear first. It should have it should have been called a a uh, Wazari. See, I I
1: I thought and yes, he did land on his rear first, but I felt that it wasn't like that rolling Ipan. I felt that the force was a that was to me was a epon
0: and and it, i i didn't have as much a problem with that particular finish as i, I as i did with some of the other finishes and, and some of the other not finishes but calls that the refs made i mean at the at the angle that the referee was at at that moment i can understand it's calling a calling an epon there is not the worst thing in the world but it was it was very borderline to me and i know having to sat through three-plus hours of that referee seminar, <laughs> um, I know that they probably, if they were to go back and have another referee session in, in a month to talk about some of the throws up to this point, they would probably put that particular throw as an example where a Wazari should have been called. Yeah. Because, like I, like I've noticed throughout this entire year so far, the ones, the throws that are getting called the pawn, are those bone rattling epons, and it, this, to me, was more of a continuation.
1: It and it, it was to me, to me, uh, it was quick enough the continuation and with force enough that I, I felt epon was was definitely uh, deserved. But had they called it wasari, you you could, like you said, point to that the new rules and where they want to see the big epon. I could see that as well. I was okay with the epon call. Just because I, I thought the technique was yeah, it was wh- spot on. It was spot on. It was
0: spot on. He wasn't. He wasn't getting out of it. It was. He had control. He had force, speed. He did have all of that. Just uh, you know, landing on the rear first. You know, it's 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 a very very close call. So um, now I thought when it came to the medal matches on the men's side, the under sixty six kilo uh, bronze medal match between. Uh, Poliak of uh, Slovakia, I believe, and, and Chibana of Brazil was one of the best ones of the day uh, of the tournament for the men's. Anyway, uh, Chibana had won with a very, very nice Uchimata. I don't know if you had a chance to see that particular match. What were your thoughts? Yeah, on it that? was
1: text and I, when executed correctly. And this is obviously just my opinion. Uchimata is the, the most beautiful throw in judo, and he that was a textbook Uchimata to me, and executed perfectly.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, I don't know if you had a chance to see some of the women's matches. I mean, look, we both know that, you know, judo tournaments, uh, you know, watching from start to finish, it it can be a pretty tough, uh, tough ask. Uh, It's you were talking about, gosh, you know, three days worth of tournaments uh, talking many, many hours, probably 20, almost 20 hours worth of judo. It's a lot to watch to break down. But uh, do you have a chance to watch any of the women's matches at all?
1: I saw the highlights from the women's matches. Okay. So so I saw all the biggie pon finishes yeah. which like I was saying earlier the women just to me it it's beautiful judo because they they really they're going for pawn at all times. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the the uh, I I have noticed a trend over the past couple of tournaments now. I don't have the statistics for this particular tournament, but the women have been they're getting more pu- what, I, what I like to call puree pawn. Um, they're getting which puree pawn is they're winning the contest by a not by a through Hansokumaki. Right. So women are getting more puree pawn. They're getting uh, less Hansokumaki maki ipon, and and they, they, there's less uh, penalties, uh, less hansoku in general on on the women's side. So it seems so, and I, I just I think. What I'm seeing in the women's division in 2017 has just been has been better and, and more impressive. I just I just wish uh, some of my favorites like Kelmendi, would would appear more often. But I'm guessing as the World Championships get closer, that's when you're going to start seeing the stars. Right. But now um, France had very little representation in this particular tournament. They had five female athletes show up, and Clementa France was one of those women, and she she defeated it. Uh, Cidarot of 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 Portugal with a great Uchimada. This is the under forty eight kilogram match. And um, you know, like I said before, I, I, it's a little disappointing to me. It's it doesn't this tournament didn't have the same oomph uh w- without Japan and France representing in strong numbers, but it goes to show you that, you know, uh Clement uh is one of those those ladies in, in on the France national team that uh that is is one to look out for going up in the four, under forty eight kilo final heading into the uh, world championships and um, Silva again of Brazil who won the gold medal in the Olympics she in the in the under fifty seven kilo division uh, you know she lost against the Russian uh, let me see if I get this name right uh, Zabludina. and I'm only pointing this out because this is this is you know, now Silva getting on onto the podium. That's all that really matters for her at this point. Uh, she she's still a, a a strong contender for to 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 be a world champion this year. But yeah, she's she's made two medal. She's been on the medal stand twice uh, in the past uh, couple of tournaments. But uh, but she has been losing. Um, what, what was the last tournament? I have this written down here. It was uh, no, I don't have no. I I know she. I can't remember if it was Paris or or if it was uh the the, the last tournament in in Baku. But but she she um she's gotten bronze twice where I thought she had a really good chance to get uh, get gold, um so and again I, I'm not I'm not sure if you saw this particular highlight yeah. at all, Joe. Um,
1: yeah, I didn't see her match, but I have noticed, like you said, that um, while she has meddled, you know, I I don't know if that's disappointing to her to only have two bronzes at this point. I know it's early on in the year and like you said i think maybe as the uh competitions go on you'll you'll see her you know back in if in form if she if you consider her out of form at this point
0: yeah yeah now one of the matches i wanted to talk about the under 63 kilo bronze medal match um it was this was one of those other bizarre matches just like that that all russian final it was smife davis of great britain going against uh uh, Lesky of of I think Slovenia. Slovenia. Yeah, I was watching this with my buddy Matt, who was down for WrestleMania, and you, you know he he didn't seem very interested in in judo at all. I think <laughs> as soon as he as soon as he saw this match, he went back to looking on his phone. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put on the WWE network. It's more it's more entertaining <laughs> at this point. This match was really weird. I, I don't know what happened there, but it almost looked like. I doubt these two ladies had an agreement before the match, given that they're two from diff- two different countries. But uh, Smike Davis looked terrible out there. She she kind of flopped around like a fish, and it, it, the, the it was just really odd. I don't I don't know what she was doing. It it's almost like maybe she 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 got dizzy. You know, she just kind of fell on her side, and and Lesky had a had a fantastic picture perfect turnover. She she, she um Smike Davis kind of ended up in a you know flat on the ground she turned like in a turtle position turned her over and choked her out it was just uh just um kind of a bizarre match and, and you know, the, the last uh lady's highlight that i wanted to talk about was uh uh of, of the Ukraine she had another strong finish this is two tournaments in a row um where she wins another another medal uh, defeating Pek Pakiente of Lithuania with a huge osotogari. She's she's got a great osotogari, and I I would expect as the world championships are heading toward, um, as we're getting closer and closer to the world championships, I I expect a lot of great things out of Iromka uh, uh, of, of the Ukraine. She's she's been performing really well, and uh, I'm impressed with her in that division.
1: Yeah, I did see that that finish with that osotogari great that another bone huge. rattling throw. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: she's she's very good i mean again she she's got to show it against the japanese women There's, uh the japanese have have a couple of really good um over 78 kilo uh lady fighters there and and uh and she's got to be able to prove it there but but she she has what it takes in my opinion i think she's got very good judo yeah and
1: these and tournaments like this like you were saying that don't have the big representation for the 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 big two being france and japan this is a chance for you know, like, uh, Ironka from Ukraine them to, I'm not going to say hone their skills, but, you know, maybe give them some confidence going into the larger tournaments where, you know, they're going to be going up against competitors from absolutely. Japan and France. And so, yeah, that was definitely a great performance by her.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So were there any other contests in this particular tournament that stuck out to you, Joe? Uh,
1: one, one in particular, uh, the Margeladon and Kurskow match, uh, you know, it looked like, uh, Oh, that's right. That's right. Go it, ahead. You know, yeah. it, it ended rather abruptly, and I was trying to figure out, you know, w- what actually happened there. And then I noticed that uh Adon, under, you know, when his ju- ju- judogi was open, it looked like he had a big white bandage across his ribs. And it appeared that once uh Kurshev was – trans, well, you know, they were on the ground and he was transitioning into side control there – uh Margeladon was already ready to tap. So I, I think there, that injury is what really caused that.
0: Yeah, that, that was, that was again, that was, you know, when we were talking about some of the, the unusual finishes in this particular tournament, that was one of them. I forgot to mention that earlier uh, when we were reviewing these matches. I, I got to believe Broken Ribs, maybe. What do you yeah. think, Joe?
1: Yeah, because it, it, like I said, it, as, soon, as soon as he they, they hit the tatami to there uh, – he was already wincing. It looked like when I went back and watched it, and it didn't even look like Curse had had secured Osaomi at all. He was already tapping, so I had to think that 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 the injury is what really prompted that that quick tap.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Now, this is the part where I want to talk a little bit about WrestleMania. I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. And I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time about this. This is a judo podcast. This is this is not a, a WWE podcast review. I don't I I don't like to comment on fake fights, but I have to admit that I'm a fan of the WWE. Joe, have you ever watched, been to an event, or, or seen a WrestleMania or anything like that? Well, I'll preface
1: it, as, as a as a child, you know, wrestling is pro wrestling is very very huge here in Tampa. Uh, yes, it yeah, is I, I right. Mean, a lot of the even currently a lot of the current WWE wrestlers uh live in the area and train in the area and at my club in particular uh a lot of the WWE wrestlers uh train and i they don't necessarily train in our in classes they take privates from uh one of our instructors there and uh who actually works for the WWE training training these guys and uh so you know it's it's not odd for me to show up at the club and see Dave Bautista or right. Samoa Joe, Sheamus, yeah. all these guys work
0: out there. So when you when you guys some of you WWE fans um if if there's any of my listeners the WWE fans, if you see pictures of of uh Sheamus training or or Finn Balor training, a lot of that's taken uh, happening at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu in Tampa.
1: Yeah, and a lot of uh, a lot of the Guys at ebor City Jiu-Jitsu are huge pro wrestling fans. Yeah. So I know they'll get a kick out of this p- portion of the podcast. But uh, going to, back to your initial question, uh, yes. I mean, I've attended a lot of uh, – back in the day, I used to go to Championship Wrestling of Florida events with my dad. Wow. And Back at the old uh, Fort Homer Hesterly Armory in Tampa. So I used to see guys like Kevin Sullivan and Dusty no Rhodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. The American Dream. American Dream, baby. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And, uh, you know – great uh managers like sir oliver humperdinck
0: yes and, uh, yeah so yes. going old school there that, but, uh, that is turning back the clock right there but
1: even more recent and uh, more recent past i would say probably you know it's probably been at least 10 15 years but you know i went to a couple of uh, live raw uh, wwe yes. rawls yeah. and smackdown tapings and even on a lesson note, i went uh to tna yeah and uh so yeah, yeah, uh, I'm I'm not as much in, in in tune with what's going on today. Although, you know, I what I did hear that at this WrestleMania, and I'm sure you'll talk about this was Undertaker's last match.
0: It was. So so I'll I'll start there and then I'll give my thoughts on the show. <laughs> All right, well, let me start by saying the last WrestleMania you watched or maybe wrestling pay-per-view, how long was that about? Uh
1: probably three two and a half three hours yeah yeah somewhere in that range
0: wrestlemania was seven hours seven hours there is there is nothing in this life that i want to do for seven hours (laughs) i I mean i can't cheer for my own children for seven hours i can't i can't watch i can't even watch star wars and the empire strikes back Uh, 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 hold your tongue hold your tongue i could do that i can't do that for seven hours i mean i just there's nothing I can do for seven hours. I mean... No. Sleep. I I, yeah, sleep. I don't even sleep for seven <laughs> hours anymore. I, I get about six hours a, a, a night, and, and that's it. Seven hours. So I got through the gate at five. The show probably started around 5.30, and by the time The Undertaker was done, I mean, he lost the match to Roman Reigns, which I, out of 75,000 people, I think I was one of five people cheering for Roman Reigns. <laughs> um, but when roman reigns beat the undertaker which i i predicted he would cuz if he lost to the undertaker that just his career would have just no right. up. so so now roman reigns is a top heel in the wwe so whatever but that undertaker end, it lasted probably about a half hour i i i was done watching wrestlemania i you i i left my seats and then i was watching from a distance on you know what was happening in the ring just not at my seats that whole end lasted about 20 minutes, people chanting, thank you, Taker, this and that. Now, for those who don't follow wrestling, The Undertaker has been the premier character wrestler for the company for over 25 years. I, I remember his very first match. Uh, this was back in, I think, 90, 1990 or 1991. And he he officially retired in his in, in a very great way. No 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 silly speeches. He just left his wrestling gear in the middle of the ring, went halfway up the ramp, and literally descended down into the ramp. Everybody, you know... That ramp at WrestleMania was about the length of a football field. Yeah, it It looked humongous. It was humongous. I mean, by the time the wrestlers got down there, (laughs) when John Cena ran to the ring, it looked like he... He he looked like a toddler running down there because he didn't want to trip over his own feet and and fall. You know, he looked (laughs) like a little kid running down there. But, yeah, WrestleMania... WrestleMania was great the production value is is bigger than the only thing that tops it in my opinion from from a long show standpoint is the opening ceremonies of the Olympics other than that nothing tops WrestleMania in terms of production
1: yeah if there's one thing that Vince McMahon has you know can do it, it's pro- produce an event and
0: you know what is
1: this how many WrestleManias have there been now? Like this was the 33rd. Thir- 33rd. Yeah. So he's got it down. Yeah. You know he knows how to do it big, and it's no surprise to me that that you would say that.
0: Yeah, and oddly enough, one of the one of the highlights of the entire mat uh, entire night happened before WrestleMania even started. There was a couple of cosplayers that dressed up as Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> Ric Flair. And the Ultimate Warrior with the fourth guy as a referee. They were fighting in the stands and, and I saw, you know, this Ultimate Warrior guy lift up Steam uh, Stone Cold Steve, uh, you know, Austin over his head. Uh, this quote unquote Steve Austin did, did the Stone Cold Stunner and, no and the crowd was chanting and everything. They were going to one, two, and, and it, they put on a great match in like the crowd and it was, it was really something else. I only saw it after the fact that he, I heard the commotion. I just couldn't see what was going on. Well, um,
1: well there's so many people there, man. There's 70,000 plus, 70, right?
0: Yeah, at least 75,000 in attendance. And the the energy was just electric. And, and again, in terms of an experience in, in the United States, if you just keep it just within the United States, I can only imagine the only thing that would top it as far as an experience would be the Super Bowl, yeah, uh, I, I would have to venture to guess. But even the Super Bowl halftime show um, isn't nearly it, well. It's it's a bigger production, but it's for a shorter time. But th- this WrestleMania set was just unreal, and the, the ramp like changed colors as they did everything. The matches. I would say the first half of WrestleMania, the matches were just on fire. They were just... You know, the wrestlers, they all pull out the stops. Right. And everything.
1: This is their Super Bowl.
0: This is their Super Bowl. This is their moment to shine. Right. It's their dream. And they, they give it their all. And it's evident when you see it. And it, and it's just it's just out of this world. Now, for me, things turned in the show with the John Cena Miz match. And, and here's the music. You can hear John Cena's music. And, and I was... I was leading the cheer for John Cena sucks and this is the audio that you're hearing is is this is live audio that I recorded and now my buddy Matt who is with me he he actually likes John Cena I don't like jo- I like John Cena the guy who visits sick kids in hospitals I don't like John Cena the, the in ring wrestler I think I think he needs to become a heel he needs to go the Hollywood Hogan route he can still do the the uh you know Make a Wish Foundation, all that. So he can still do that as a heel, but there needs to be there needs to be a heel turn for him because this is the part in the show that I went to the bathroom. Basically, I, I mean, I just I went to the bathroom, and got something to drink because I, I could care less about John Cena. And now I love The Miz as a character, but but I knew he was going to lose that match. And then typical, you, you know, they, they wasted ten minutes of him proposing to Nikki Bella. It was just it was just silly. I I, I got my booze in, and that's when I went to go to the <laughs> restroom. So. So and you guys are hearing that's 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 actual recorded footage and yeah you know, after I I I was allowed as John Cena sucks cheering and everything I turned to my buddy Matt and he looks like he has this look on his face like he wants to give me a high five to the face with the steel chair I mean that's what he looked like there he just he loves Cena I guess I don't know so I got to
1: ask uh, being out of wrestling pro wrestling a little bit has John Cena always been a face
0: yeah yeah he's yeah. been a face and he. I can understand why you know the the whole the things that he does for the military families, the, the charities. He's he's a he's a great human being. Yeah, he just he just reminds me of those because he's from Massachusetts. He he reminds me of the the kind of I play football, ha 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 ha. The kind of guy that would stick your head in the toilet and give you a swirly. Right. He reminds me of that kind of guy. Just a lot of a lot of guys in Massachusetts are. What I would call like likes to fight guy. Yeah. You know, you look at a guy the wrong way, and hey, well, you want to go? Huh? Disrespecting huh? me? Yeah, you are disrespecting yeah. me? You know, and 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 John Cena has the pseudo Marky Mark, you know. Yes. Look like oh, you can't see me, dog. You know, they, 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 hey, I hate that stuff. I need,
1: you know. You know what though? Uh, I agree with you on that. Would be the most epic. Face turn heel since Hulk Hogan. Since Hogan, and look what it did for Hogan. He he was more popular. Yeah, and you know that maybe at some point, if Cena's uh, popularity diminishes, that's the route to go.
0: It 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 is because. I mean, after after the Ho- the famous Hogan heel turn, which was awesome. Oh,
1: I still remember that. It, it was incredible. I mean, people, people throwing oh, stuff into the ring. They oh, couldn't. It's nobody. People crying. They couldn't believe I, it. I
0: showed my son the video when when my buddy Matt was here, and we we were just pausing it, seeing like full cups of beer being thrown yeah. at Hogan and stuff. I mean, people people thought this was like real back then. There was no I- real. There was no internet back then. Not not like it is today. Right. And people just didn't realize that they they thought there was a you know an nwo takeover the new world and, order but but after a while kids were showing up in the arenas with fake black beards and yeah, stuff like yeah. that you know with it, people loved hogan they loved him as a heel they loved him as a face and and i think i think cena could survive that
1: oh absolutely and at some point you know uh i i'm sure that the WWE is doing great now ratings wise
0: no not actually not as good oh really <laughs> no not as good as not as good as the attitude era oh uh, well yeah yeah, yeah
1: because well, they they don't really uh I mean so they they have their own network now, they that's do. how it works, right? Yeah, so. they
0: do they do and they now they own all the properties of those old wrestling promotions. I'm sure I'm sure Joey Best has a has a WWE network subscription to watch some of the, oh, I'm the sure. American Dream and and uh the the old WCW days and stuff oh, that's, like that. That's so, brilliant, man. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, they they own everything now. That also and makes
1: me want to get a subscription just for the old days.
0: It, yeah, just for the old days, it's worth it. But uh, I I don't watch like the Stuff they put out there now. Well,
1: the you know. thing. Well, if if the ratings aren't what, like you said, like the Attitude Days, maybe maybe the the heel turn for Cena is. The, hey, if you're listening, Vincent, I know you are. Yeah. yeah. And you you can you no royalties. You don't owe us anything. Just go ahead and make the heel turn. Just yeah. just do it. it, it maybe it, I'll like him then. Yeah.
0: It, it, it needs to happen. And now, but at that point of the match, it, at that point of the show, it was. It, it, the the overall show, I mean, there were good matches after that, but it people started getting exhausted a little bit. And and I tell you, I thought the the Undertaker Roman Reigns match was last, and that that came after the Bray Wyatt Randy Orton um, WWE title match, which I, again I'm, I don't want to turn this into a WrestleMania podcast, but Bray Wyatt should not have lost that belt to Orton. I I think Bray Wyatt needed to hold on that belt. I I, I didn't like that at all, but. Yeah. At that point, I was thinking, great, one more match, and then the SmackDown Women's Championship match, a four-way match, came out. Like, oh my god! It was like 11:45 at that point. I was like, oh no! It was just so, at that point, I was exhausted, and and it was just people were fatigued. I mean, even even the hardcore wrestling fans, you're tired at that point. So, so it it ended. The I'll tell you, Undertaker match against Roman Reigns. I don't know if it was deliberate or not, but the way that Undertaker wrestled out there, he looked like a 53 year old man going against a 28 year old man, and it just, it, it just wasn't. It didn't look good at all. It was a bad match, and and I don't blame Taker for that. It had he should have retired five years ago, but he didn't. But the, the send off was proper.
1: Yeah, you know that's the thing. Whether you you're a wrestling fan or not you have to respect the level of effort. Absolutely. And people don't realize, or maybe people do, but these guys travel 250-plus days out of the year. Absolutely. They're putting on shows three to four times a week, and that travel schedule, you know, and, you know, they're taking bumps out there.
0: They are. Yeah, the, the, the results are scripted, but look, you... You jump off the top rope and do an elbow on somebody. Yeah, somebody's landing on you with an elbow drop from the top rope. That's not that's not fake, and it's not
1: much better for the guy doing the elbow either. Because if you've ever climbed into one of those pro wrestling rings, they're not soft. Right. You know, when we're doing judo, we're taking falls on a nice cushion tatami. Those are not that soft.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know the rings have have give. I mean, and you—you know—they put the—they you know, probably still put the mic. Uh, yeah, they definitely put a microphone underneath the ring because, you know, here I am sitting, seemingly like a hundred rows up, and I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm hearing, you know, atomic drops yeah. like it's happening right next to me. But, uh, but still, oh, I gotta say, uh, the highlight of the night was the return of the Hardy Boys, and that oh, yeah. was now. Now the Hardy Boys, um, Matt and Jeff Hardy, have been doing this. Fantastic broken Matt gimmick where where Matt Hardy has completely lost his marbles and and this whole gimmick involves his family and stuff like that. They were doing it in TNA. It's the most brilliant thing to happen in wrestling in in, in years. And, and and Matt, this broken Matt character is, is genius. But now they have some lo- leak lawsuit with with uh, Impact Wrestling, which was formerly TNA. Right. And so he can't bring that gimmick yet into the WWE, but. That would the crowd went nuts. I mean, if you want to hear seventy five thousand people go nuts in unison? You you got to watch that highlight with the with the Hardy Boys coming out. It was, it was a surprise. Nobody knew it, um, except maybe the the few geeks that are out there that listen to, to actually read wrestling news. You know, five times a day, that kind of thing. Maybe they knew it, but. It was an incredible moment, one of the greatest moments in WrestleMania history.
1: What about their actual performance in the ring? Because they were in- always high level.
0: Incredible. Look, these guys are our ages. They're they're approaching mid forties. Uh, N- Matt Hardy. It was a ladder match to get the titles. So you you know climbing yeah. up the ladder to get the titles. Matt Hardy does this twist of face, which 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 is kind of like the uh, almost like a almost like a Stone Cold stunner off the off the top of the ladder. And and then Jeff Hardy does this. Uh, I can't remember what they call the moves these days. But he off off the tallest ladder, which seemed like it's tall as the Eiffel Tower. He jumps off the ladder, lands on unfortunately Sheamus <laughs> and Cesaro, who are on top of other ladders on the on the side of the ring. He he does he does this flip off the top, lands on both of them. Matt Hardy gets gets up to the belts and they they became WWE tag team champions. Wow, yeah, so that was an incredible. That was the the best match of the night. That that fatal four way uh, match tag team match for the belts. Best match of the night. It happened in the middle of the uh, middle of the uh, the the entire event. So, man, had they put that on at the end, that that energy would have lasted me all night. I wouldn't have gone to sleep. (laughs) uh, Undertaker put me to sleep. Uh, not, put, not literally, but but yeah. So I, I was done by then, but I did watch him. I know. thought he, I
1: thought he actually came up in the stands and gave you a tombstone. or No, something.
0: Yeah. no. So you know, it was it was great night. You know, the Undertaker and his dong was was is done for once and for all. He's not terrorizing anybody by whipping that thing out, and and it's reverberating in the arena. None of that anymore. So it's over with. The dong is done, and that was it. It was a great show. And, and I'm glad to be a part of that. It's off my bucket list. The next thing for bucket list for me is is the Super Bowl. As, in terms of live events, the Super Bowl, um, that's probably more important to me than, than being a part of an Olympics. Uh, not not competitively, but as a spectator. But a spectator, I got you. But, uh, but yeah, as far as a spectator, the Super Bowl is on my list. I mean, I got a, a bucket list. and, and stuff. I think everybody at our age just tends to have something on their mind. But uh, visiting Europe um, would be on my bucket list. Never been? Never been to Europe. Ah, okay. Yeah, I've been all um, over Europe. Another another item on my bucket list is visiting uh, Hans Van Essen of judoinside.com. <laughs> now, Joe, I've got a gift for you. Oh. I've been told by Hans Van Essen that I am the only one in the United States that has an official judoinside.com water bottle. He sent me Four. I want to give one to you, my friend. Oh, awesome! Now you see the water bottle right there. What is your initial impressions of this water bottle? I got to be honest with you, man. This is a. Are you ever are you dishonest? Have you been dishonest? Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, I, yeah. I always love when people say that. Yeah, I got to be honest because yeah. I've been lying to you this whole time. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, this is a nice water bottle. I mean, it's even got the um the milliliters, which. Us Americans, you're going to have to explain this milliliter thing to us. We don't, well, how many ounces is that?
0: I, I, I don't know. Yeah, man. I don't know. Now I got to go to Google the, and, the only thing and convert can, it. Is it full or empty? That's the most important. Yeah, I guess.
1: But this is a quality water bottle. Yeah, I mean,
0: absolutely. I mean, the groove there, the groove. It's got that, the, the f- finger. Yeah, you can
1: lock it in. Man, very nice. And thank you very much. I'll, uh, I'll post a picture
0: in, on the Instagram there with it. Yeah, you definitely should. And, and tag, uh, JudoInside.com. He would he would love that. Now, have you been to that site before? I have not. What, what the f- what the, the, f- is I the matter with you, man? I, where have I been? Yeah, exactly. You you have to visit JudoInside.com because Hans does a great job with covering athlete birthdays and and uh, what's going on in the judo community and the judo. He covers tournaments that. That I'd even know existed. Wow! If there's a tournament in Antarctica, Hans is covering it. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. He's he's got. I don't know if he's a one man show or if he. I think he's got other people in other places, uh, doing covering tournaments and events and stuff. I'm curious to know if if he'll have some representation at the U.S. Open that's going to be in July over in Fort Lauderdale. I don't know if he'll have representation there, but but uh, do you plan on attending that? I plan on being there for the referee I uh, not, not the referee I want to get my coaching certification state coaching certification through USA judo I gotta go I gotta go there um for that it's it's gonna happen on a Thursday I believe July 20th I cannot go to, I'm not gonna go there to participate I'm not gonna go there to volunteer I just don't have that time I mean I can't I, I, I'm going to be moving in a couple months. Uh, I, I've I've got a, a, a weekend coming up where some of my wife's family is coming up, and I, I was going to take a day. I'm going to have to take a day on a Thursday to go down to Fort Lauderdale to be a part of this. Now, this is important to me because, look, I've made it very clear on this. I don't like talking about my own promotions. I've never asked for a promotion. I'm not actually asking for a, for a promotion, but I want my knee on Right. I, I I want my need on It's been I've been a shodan for seven years. I want my need on I I want to work toward that. I'm not asking for promotions. I'm just saying I want to work toward that and show, you know, not only Florida Judo Inc. but uh, you know uh, USA Judo that I'm I'm an active member of the judo community. Uh, you know, if I become part of a club, um, you know, I don't know. There's a situation happening at my own judo club. I'm not. Not a bad – well, not a bad situation in terms of personal, me and me and the sensei or anything like that. It's just um, we, we may be at large for a little while. I, I don't know how that's going to play out. Um, I, I'm sure – you know, it's funny. I, I got a lot of listeners to this podcast. I don't think – I think one guy listens to the podcast at my own club. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. It's like – I, it's, you know, I say, you know, judo chop suey and all you hear is like crickets. like that's what <laughs> I'm talking about, but – uh but yeah, so that's I'm not going to be uh, spectating or being a part of. It. I can't spend four days out in Fort Lauderdale. I, yeah, I, it's hotels. I, I don't I don't have that kind of money, and, and you know, and I'm not going to drive down there every single day. It's a three and a half hour drive for me. Right. And it you know even though I'm within even though I'm within Florida to drive from here to Fort Lauderdale is actually further away than driving from Boston to New York City. Just put oh, in perspective. It's, it is. Florida is a huge state so i i just can't i can't make that trip um but i i will make it for one day to go to this to this uh coaching seminar um uh, is it coaching yeah i guess to get my certification to become uh be a certified coach what are the requirements for that i am just curious so it's my understanding i don't know it's my understanding you you gotta be um well you gotta pay a fee of course it's like thirty five bucks i think yeah you have to be registered with u s a judo okay and you just have to show up. Now you can't go there and become a national or international level coach. It's my understanding that you have to go to your state. You have to go there and become state coach, and then maybe I think what ends up happening if there's another seminar in another state, you have to go there, and then you can go qualify for your national uh, coaching uh, a level coach. I, I don't I don't know all the levels to be honest. All I'm really concerned about at this point is the state because for my own judo club, if I go to a local tournament that's, that's sponsored by USA Judo or USJA or USJF, I can't sit in the coach's chair unless I'm certified. Yes. So that's that's an important thing for me to do and to have so that at least for my students, I could, I could have the right to sit there and yell at them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I would never yell at my kids. I know a lot of other coaches do um I, uh you know not yell at them at bad performance. I might yell at them to get their attention, but that's about it you know i don't i don't I don't take uh local judo, judo tournaments so seriously that that it I need to say negative things toward my students. I know that happens uh with certain coaches locally around here that I know of they they will remain nameless, but they tend to yell at their kids a lot and you know what their local tournaments the only thing that's at stake is the coach's pride. That's, absolutely that's it and i think it's absurd that that a coach would yell uh at, at, in in a negative way at their own students well
1: man this coaching seminar has kind of piqued my interest a little bit being you know the instructor at ebor city jiu jitsu
0: it's important i think if you have students that you could we were talking about this earlier on the podcast that you have students that may be interested in doing judo tournaments well if they enter a judo tournament you can't sit in that chair um you can't maybe Maybe some of the other Shodan and Nidan at your club may be able to sit in that chair because they have the c- proper uh, credentials.
1: Yeah, maybe that's something
0: I'll look into as well.
1: And you know, with the situation at your club that you were mentioning, you know, you always got you're always welcome on the mats at Ebor City Jiu-Jitsu.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I um, I'll definitely be there Wednesday. Uh, come come hella high water. Uh, I will I will definitely be there. The only thing that would stop me from being there is work. Okay. If some kind of a production issue happens and and it's all hands on deck it's rare that it happens but you know what this kind of stuff happens on the most important days for me so it just it just does so so this is an important thing for me and uh you know so i will definitely uh i will definitely be there and I i may end up having to bring my own sons there they'll sit on the side and i probably cannot i can't i probably will not be able to stay for the entire Thing I just need to make sure that I'm there for you to get promoted. You know, we take a couple pictures, that kind of thing. And I, I can't, I can't imagine I could stay there the entire evening because my sons have homework and things like that. And Absolutely. I, I, you know, they I got to make sure that their schoolwork uh, remains on top of that. So, but uh well, Joe, we are at the <laughs> two hour and twenty nine minute mark of this podcast. Wow, this is this has become the WrestleMania of podcasts. <laughs> You know, so you don't want to
1: go for seven hours. Let's I, just keep I, going.
0: I, we probably could, but you know, I'm sure. I don't want to give the listeners fatigue. I hope they've enjoyed this podcast. I've enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed doing this. This has been, uh, it, this has been an interesting experience because not only have I in, enjoyed doing it, that's not the interesting part, but this felt like about a half hour worth of talking. And but it, it I did not feel fatigue doing this podcast. I don't know how you felt. About it,
1: no, no, it's great it, i I'm really surprised that it's out long, you know i like I, I listen to a lot of different podcasts out there, you know, like Joe Rogan experience, and some of those go on for two and a half three hours, and you're like oh it's it's over already, and yeah you're like, yeah, it's three hours long, but it, you know as long as the the content's interesting, which I, I hope we kept it relevant and interesting for you guys
0: yeah and and fun and entertaining as well yeah. now, I hope if you've made it this far i I really thank you and. I'm gonna have Joe back on again. No question, no question about it. Even if you didn't like it, I did. So I think it's gonna come across. I think it's gonna come across in your earphones, on the airways, internet airways, if I like to call it. I had a, I had a great time doing this. And um, in the future, Joe and I will also hit our stride in terms of podcasting. I don't think we can do a co-host show and keep it to an hour. Um, and I don't know if we can do this once a week. That that would be a tall order, especially for me. But you know, maybe maybe we can shoot for once every other week, sure, or 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 maybe maybe once a month. I don't know. Um, we we need to coordinate our schedules a little bit better. But um, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. So, do you have anything uh, to left to add? No. Uh,
1: thanks for having me and all you listeners out there. If you liked what you heard today, you know, l- let the show know. And if you didn't like it, uh, just keep it to yourself.
0: Yeah. No. Or, or you can let me know. Now, Joe. Last before we go, do you do you have any Instagram, Twitter? Email that you want people now if you don't I, I get, if you don't want to share any of that, you can always just reach out to the show reach out to Joe through through the show email which is juo chopsui show at gmail.com there's always the instagram you can, my Instagram now is lavidajudoka. Judoka you can follow me there um, you can also uh, hit me up at lavidajudoka Judoka on Twitter if you have any comments uh, and there's also Facebook as well so any comments that you want to leave for the show that you thought any feedback, feel free to let us know. Uh, and it'll get back to Joe. But Joe, do you have anything that you would like to share publicly? Sure,
1: sure. If you want to, uh, Instagram's the best way to get a hold of me, and that's at Kaiser, that's J-K-I-S-E-R-7-1 on Instagram. And uh, yeah, just hit me up there.
0: All right. Well, with that, Joe, I hope you have a good week training. Um, I hope everybody out there listening has a good week training, and I appreciate you joining the podcast. So with that, train hard, stay safe out there, and until next time, Oh, right,
1: we're
0: done. Star! Gangnam Star! Gangnam Hey! What do you uh, think, Joe? Man,
1: I got to be honest with you, David. That wasn't good. Uh, we were awful. I, that was dreadful. I mean, really, we devolved to talking about pro wrestling.
0: Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, like, if, if this isn't if this isn't the podcast that gets reported on iTunes, I don't know what will.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, I, I mean, I feel like I'm the anchor that brought this down. Today, no, so.
0: it's horrible, man. Jeez. Yeah. Well, we got the strippers coming at 11. Should we go get the nachos? Yeah, let's just do that. All right, yeah, uh, anything to
1: anything to, to wipe this from my memory, uh, man.